everybody. Welcome to the Worst of All Possible Worlds podcast. Uh, I am the Worst of All Possible Joshes. I am the Worst of All Possible Brian's. And today we have a guest with us. Very exciting. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, I'm the Worst of All Possible Levy Namens from New York City. <laughs> um, and, yeah, cool. Um, do, you, and, do, you need me, do you need me to tell you what I do? Yeah, why don't you go for it? Okay, I am a uh, pinball enthusiast in New York City. I've been doing this for about uh, over 20 years, um, owning pinball machines, refurbishing them, selling them to to people who don't mind paying for a quality pinball product uh, over at www.crazylevypinball.com. Um, I've been uh, back before uh, the forums. I was on RGP. That was the old news group. Um, until AOLs told us we had to leave uh, and <laughs> I migrated on over to the um, to Pinside, which is right. now where most of the beefing goes on. I also help with, uh, with a few other guys, Tim Sexton, Austin uh, Smith, and Paul Karras. Uh, we put on the New York City Pinball Championships. Uh, we're hoping to get that going again maybe next year now that our venue is no longer a homeless shelter. Um, but we have a lot of obstacles to, uh, to, to get over it, but that's you know, not really relevant to this discussion. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to know. And I mean, you know, I, I actually, uh, for the listeners at home, uh, I met Levy doing uh, pinball in New York city, uh, in the bar league quite a while ago, like maybe a decade ago at this point. It's been a long um, time. I remember the night I met you, I uh, dipped into your bag of Ritz crackers, uh, which I, <laughs> I, I thought were public domain. Um, your, your shifty looks and, and squirreling the box away and hiding it somewhere <laughs> made me realize that they weren't. And I did apologize to you. Um, that's so funny. I, I don't even know. That, that's awesome. Well, you, you it, do it like sounds- Ritz crackers, right? Well, I love Ritz crackers. Yeah, who it, doesn't? It sounds like what brings us here today is another type of theft. That has occurred within the pinball community, <laughs> much true. like you uh, stealing the snacks, which means that today we are, that's right, doing an emergency podcast. This is an emergency. Democracy is in crisis. That's right. There is nothing. There is only pain. There is suffering. There is disaster. Oh, this no, is still going. Still, it keeps going. It keeps going. <laughs> That was great. And it um, ends with the Tim Allen grunt. Uh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for those of you who uh, have uh, are listening to this for the first time, what we do on this podcast, usually it's analyzing pieces of pop culture, kind of uh, looking at it with a critical lens, seeing how events that take place and how media that's put in front of us can oftentimes reflect broader trends going on in the world. And uh, the great theft to which Brian is referring uh, is, well, there has been a pinball startup that it turns out was doing some pretty shifty business. And uh, we'll really get to the full expose about what that thing is. But I think that just to get started with uh, Levy, if we could get kind of the cliffs notes about sort of what maybe if we could like walk through real quick, you know, from maybe like late eighties through to like a few years back, kind of what happened with the big pinball manufacturers, uh, where they all went, how the boutiques got started up, and just like what brought us to the situation that ultimately led to a man making this major theft. 
Hmm. All right, I could probably condense the last 35 years of football history. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, in the, uh, the the late 80s through the early 90s, there was a huge boom in pinball. Um, you might remember games like Adam's Family. Um, these games sold tens of thousands of units, which was un- unheard of before in pinball. Right. Um, very, very successful. There was not much, as far as I know, there was not much of a home uh, hobby at that time. It was all... Uh, uh, just a few people maybe would have games in their house. I remember as a kid, you know, seeing an old game in someone's house. It just just wasn't really a thing. They right. they were marketed uh, to operators. Operators bought them and they they put them out on routes. And there was a very very small kind of subset of people who. who kind of tinkered with these things on their own. Right, and um, in the late nineties, early uh, late eighties, early nineties, that was really before the. I guess the death of the modern arcade, like the, the arcade was kind of holding on at that point, um, I would say. But overall, yeah, there was still there was still a good market for routes, I guess you could say. Right. Yes. Uh, pinball was very profitable for root uh, earners um, throughout the 90s. Unfortunately, this began to end as the 90s went on. Um, basically what happened, like you said, the arcades kind of died uh, and the root operators stopped buying games because games like Adam's Family were making so much money. And games immediately after Adam's family, like Twilight Zone, were mechanical disasters that, well, they sold a lot of money. They didn't make a lot of money because they were always broken. Uh, They sold a lot of units, but they didn't make a lot of money on roots. And that that trend just kind of continued throughout the 90s. And finally, in about, uh, I think it was 99, um, uh, Williams, who was at that time the biggest uh, pinball company, uh, they they called it a day. Um, They were still making money, but they were cooking the books to make it look like they weren't. And their shareholders were like, get out of pinball and make uh, slot machines. And they still do that to this day. Oh, wow. Right. Um, And this Williams, by the way, is the same Williams that gave us, among other things, uh, Mortal Kombat. So they end uh, in Joust. So it's interesting you bring that up. There are some bad games that have fairly large production numbers like Popeye. They made six or seven thousand. It's a terrible game. Oh, wow. Uh, this is uh, <laughs> mid '90s uh, Williams Valley, same company at that point. Um, okay. Pinball machine, and basically operators were forced to buy these if they wanted Mortal Kombat Five or whatever was coming out. Um, that's <laughs> this is the kind of industry we're dealing with. You know, it was yeah. you know Valley was owned by the mob at a certain point. You know, back in the old days, right. uh, it's it's always been a cash business. It's always attracted interesting individuals. Um, it's always been kind of a a small industry. Uh, with a small market that is is was strictly commercial um, in a very a very dedicated market and that's that's the other thing that i think you know when we get to talking about the core subject of today's emergency podcast uh that's just going to be a really important thing to keep in mind the other thing that i wanted to point up that you mentioned is what you said about the mechanical complexity of games like twilight zone right that these are great pinball machines that are a nightmare to maintain on route because of how mechanically complex and prone to failure they are right can you talk a little bit more about that well I, you know i don't want to give pinball too much of a bad rap um but it's just some games like twilight zone had a lot of toys baked into them and these mm-hmm. games weren't really they it took a couple of weeks for these issues to come out um and this isn't every pinball machine in the 90s the right. real issue was just that Adams Family was doing great, so why buy another game? It still makes money. Mm. If you put a 25-year-old Adams Family on location, it's still going to earn well, and people still do that. Um, but the problem with games like Twilight Zone, like the clock, you know, it, it got too hot in there because there were light bulbs, and this clock right. would fail within like a couple of weeks. Um, so oh, they wow. started drilling holes in <laughs> you know, to, to get the get the air out. And, uh, right. you know, there's a proximity switch that would tell you when there's a, um, a ceramic power ball in there that would fail. 
Uh, and pinball machines in general are are just um, very complicated and and prone to needing maintenance. I wouldn't say prone to failure necessarily, but um, you know if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna operate pinball machines even to this day, you're gonna need to root them. Right. Um, I mean, you're gonna need to maintain them, and that that means addressing things that are gonna break. A lot of them are gonna be simple, but I mean, a loose wire will make your game unplayable and then unearnable as right. far as cash goes. Um, so it was a combination of that, but mostly it was just the collapse of the arcades as well. Um, right. and the shrinking the industry down, just go over the money was, which was gambling. So um, then end of the nineties, we get, uh, Bally Williams goes belly up after developing a technology called pinball 2000. Uh, and that was their attempt to sort of merge the world of video games into pinball, uh, the thing was like there was a little monitor that would project down onto the playfield glass so that it looked like you were shooting up into a screen. Yeah, it um, used pretty, pretty old tech that you'd see on these old shooting mechanical games right, where it was, right. you know, basically the uh, Pepper's ghost effect uh, yeah. where it would just make it look like you were kind of shooting at stuff. I remember the first time I saw one at Broadway. I think they called it Broadway Arcade. It was on 42nd Street. This is around 2000 or so. And I just, I wasn't too blown away by it. It was kind of like, I got the gimmick right off the bat, uh -huh. but I just kind of wanted a regular pinball machine. And this is going to so, be something that you see over and over again throughout the last <laughs> 30 years of pinballs that everybody thinks they want like innovations. They want uh -huh. something new. They don't even know what it is. They just want it. And yeah. the, you know, the, the pinball machine companies that will just give you a pinball machine on schedule and not steal your money are not providing the innovation that everybody right. seeks. Right. They, want, they want, you should see the stuff people come up with. Like they want a back to the future game with a, a flaming DeLorean tearing across the playfield with smoke coming out. Like that's what would impress people at this point. And it's just not going to happen because it's not pinball. And it's like, I feel right. like, so you're going to see this over and over again. People keep they're they're not happy with the reality, which is simply pinball, which hasn't really changed that much since the flipper was invented in 1948. Um, I mean, sure, there's been some changes, but it's always going to yeah. be pinball. And that yeah. just doesn't seem to be enough for people. And that seems to be why people are always willing to spend money on the fantasy. Right. Well, I played Pac Jr. at Pioneers a few years ago, and I think that was the pinnacle of the, I'm joking. This is a, it's <laughs> one of the worst, worst things I've ever played in my life. Baby Pac-Man, right? Is that yeah, what you're talking yeah. about? The one with the, yeah. I remember playing that too. And I was like eight years old. I was like, it's like what? such a the, cool idea, but it's terrible. <laughs> I just remember being a little baffled, you know, cause I knew what pinball yeah. was, but I really yeah. knew what Pac-Man was. And it seemed to me like <laughs> a bad Pac-Man game. Now, that's funny. The video pinball combo, they try it every 10 years and it never works either. Um, right. Because again, and every time it's like they're the they they say that they're the first ones to do it. Pinball people like pinball and video game people like 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 video games. And that's yeah. kind of how it is. Anyway, take us then from uh, sort of the turn of the millennium. Uh, what happens after uh, Bally Williams folds and uh, what is it that keeps pinball alive? Well, I'll go back a little bit to the 70s. Um, Sam Stern was one of these old old men, mm -hmm. one of these, one of these old Jews who was involved in the pinball scene with a bunch of other guys like himself. And this is um, all in Chicago too. I, I feel like that yeah. lends a little okay. bit of, uh, that, that just helpful context <laughs> to go like along with the whole, yeah, very specific characters in a very specific town who are connected in very specific ways, shall we say. Right. And then we're talking the twenties or thirties. These guys all kind of started at these same companies and then some of them kind of branched off and made their own companies, Harry Williams and Sam Stern, um, you know, had, had he was involved in a company and his son, Gary, um, who still runs Stern today, uh, he eventually created his own company, uh, Stern Electronics. He bought at Chicago Coin, 
which was kind of a distant fourth hmm. behind Bally, Gottlieb, and Williams at the time. And uh, they specialized Chicago Point, I think, mostly in bowling games, like shuffle alleys. Um, those are kind of 12-foot-long games with a puck or a ball, and you shoot at these oh, plastic yeah. pins. Um, and they also did baseball games where you have a bat, you know, and one guy pitches and the other guy bats, and you shoot, get home runs, and they, they ring up. These were, you know, arcade games. You'd see them in bars. Um, they also made bad pinball machines. Um, at, uh, I just got rid of one because it was a nightmare to work on. 1975 <laughs> Chicago Coin Cinema and sold it for 300 bucks. Let somebody else deal with it. That's neither here nor there. Uh, Gary Stern, the plucky young upstart, um, decided to follow in his father's footsteps and he started Stern Electronics by buying a Chicago Coin. Uh, they continued to make mechanicals for a couple of years. And then they made uh, digital games, which was the new thing in the late 70s. You get rid of the mechanical stuff, you bring in computer chips, uh, transistors, um, circuit boards, and now you have okay. a digital. The, the main way to tell this on an old game is the digital uh -huh. displays um, instead of the mechanical score reels that you'll see in a mechanical okay. game. And so, in some of the, I know some of those uh, Stern games, specifically those early um, solid state ones, are still pretty popular in some circles, uh, especially on the competition circuit. Like uh, Ali, I know, is a really uh, popular one. Yeah, they're really good games, and it kind of took them a while to get their due because I think back in the old days, they still had that Chicago coin stench on them. Right. Um, but now, mm. and, and they are not built as well. The light sockets are garbage. If you get an old Stern game, you got to replace them. Uh, huh. They're not that bad, though. I mean, they're really, the cabinets are a little, I've had some, some issues on them, but they're really not bad. I mean, 40, these games were, all of these games were made the last five years, you know, maybe 10 if you're going to stick right. at some honky tonk, you know, as like a third location, a third tier location. But, uh, you know, he had success uh, for a while until the first arcade collapsed in the mid 80s. And then he was forced to shut his company down around 84, I think. Um, you know, the, the mid 80s were very bad for the arcade industry across the board. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a, I'm sure you guys know about this. There was a total collapse and pinball was also a victim. Um, and Stern went out of business come the late eighties when, when it's kind of all coming back, you know, arcades are coming back pinball's doing well. Williams was selling tons of games, um, with like high speed, uh, F14 and stuff like that. Um, he came back into the business, uh, with, uh, did East was his company. I guess he partnered up with the video game guys and, uh, started Data East. And these games also were not really built as well. Um, I'll tell you now, if you get these early ones, the cabinets are just total garbage. Um, they are fun though. They're weird, but they're fun. They are fun. And, and if you get one in nice shape, um, that's cool. Like I had a RoboCop, that was a cool game. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, they did their own thing and it was profitable. Uh, and they continued um, into the nineties. Eventually Sega bought them. I don't right. know if Gary was involved anymore at that point, but Sega bought the company. Yeah, and, and then and then with Sega, you've got like you've got Starship Troopers, you've got the South Park pinball machine, you've got what Baywatch wasn't that a Sega? Baywatch, yeah. yeah. And South Park was a huge hit. I, I heard that game still it earns. It's not a very good game, but uh, it, it earns. It's, it's uh, kind of funny. Most likely on the license. There's a big toilet in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, they they were big into toilet games. They made several games with toilets. <laughs> Was uh, that sort of the first time that a Japanese company kind of got into this? Uh, yeah, as far as I know, there might have been Segasa. I don't know if that had anything to do with those guys. Okay. Uh, uh, I think Sega was involved, kind of making some mechanical games back then. I was getting a little right. confused. Okay. And then a little bit after Sega entered, uh, Capcom decided, to try, uh, decided uh -huh. to try their hand as well. Uh, that didn't work out for them so much, but uh, <laughs> put a pin in that because we are going to come back to that later. Yeah, they're not okay. the only ones. Uh, also, uh, uh, 
the Gottlieb guys who Gottlieb uh, sold their company to Columbia and then they sold to somebody else. I got the Gottlieb guys themselves, the, the family had been out of the business for a long time. And I guess they attempted in the mid nineties to get on the gravy train because all these games were starting to sell well again. And they started the Alvin G company. Oh yeah. Um, okay. And they made some <laughs> real oddball games. I, I don't honestly don't know if I've ever played an Alvin G game. They didn't make them big numbers. I believe, and I don't know if this is true, but I've heard old timers say they were actually building these in a hospital like, <laughs> in Chicago. Like this was That's a awesome. hospital. And I guess they were building games there. I, I don't know, but they weren't a huge success. And it was also right. the wave was, was cresting, you know, as far as the pinball okay. revival. So yeah, yeah. Sega got out and sold back to Gary. So it was Data East, okay. Sega, and then Stern. By 2000, it was Stern again. Um, and they came back into the business making pretty poor games, but they steadily, they got better quickly, uh, the yes. Stern stuff. Uh, they started out with like Striker Extreme, which is crummy, and then uh, Sharky Shootout is one, which isn't too hot. But by like 2002, 2003, they were making a, a product pretty pretty close, maybe not as consistently, but pretty close to what we see from them now. Like deep game, good games with, with good licenses people want, deep software. Yep. So, you know, Gary knows how to do this. He's He's been doing this his entire life. And pinball people really, it's, it just keeps going back to the weird emotional investment that pinball people who are really deep into this always put into these into this industry and these companies. They look at a guy like Gary and they... They think, oh my, this guy's in it for the money. This guy, he's not passionate. It always goes back to the passion and the magic. And that's where they want to throw their money to this imaginary, passionate, like, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> it's going to make all their dreams come true. It's going to be innovative. Uh, and, you know, they, Gary is a guy who literally his entire life, like pinball has paid for the roof over his head since he was right. a little kid. And, you know, yeah. and his dad moved down to Miami and retired and, and he kept he kept doing it. And it's paid his, it's gotten his kids to college. It's paid for his divorces. It's paid for his Harley. <laughs> well, not, like, to, not, not to mention also that, you know, Stern has kept a lot of people employed, including a manufacturing presence in uh, the United States, in Chicago. Like that's pretty hmm. rare these days for stuff this to is, actually be assembled in America. This is absolutely true. Um, part of it is in the, this is just a funny aside. And, you know, it's a long time ago, but I, I recently saw this memo from 1978 that he issued his operators. Apparently his workers had gone on strike and he successfully beat down their strike and uh, and they will will be able to continue to, to bring you viable, inexpensive pinball machines. Um, thanks to his brutal put down of the strike. <laughs> thanks, that was, Gary. <laughs> that was a long time ago. I, he, they have oh, a, boy. There are no union uh, manufacturers in pinball anymore. Right, um, right. Back then there mm. were, but it, it was a different time, of course. Well, yeah, just like just about everything these days. Hopefully their, their pay is good. It seems like, you know, it's an assembly line. It's a lot of work. Um, but uh, so that's pretty much the story of the pinball industry up to now, Stern. Well, not up to now, but until, uh, up until, until about, about mm, five, six years ago. Yeah. About 2010. Right. Uh, it was really okay. just Stern. Really for a solid while there, you know, there was exactly one game in town. And for a while it was Bally Williams. Was Sega kind of doing its own thing? So did Sega kind of doing its own thing off to the side, including, by the way, Brian, the um, Tommy the Musical pinball machine? I don't know if oh, you okay. knew that there's a pinball machine of Tommy. Uh, it's it's I pretty mean, good. It makes sense. It's based on that. the Broadway yeah. show, which is yeah. a little strange. Yeah. Um, Ab- I would about say, pinball. I would amend your synopsis a little bit. Um, Gottlieb, which became right, premier, premier. Gottlieb, right, right. continued into the 90s. That's right. Um, so okay. you really did have three pinball manufacturers. Right. 
And it didn't start to, you know, they, they didn't start to, the, the industry didn't really start to contract until the mid to late nineties. And then right. Gottlieb called it a day. Um, and, uh, uh, what Williams called it a day. And what you were left with was Stern at that point, um, turn of the century. Right. So, uh, Stern was then the only game in town for the first decade of the new millennium and, um, you know, produced a number of, of really solid games, games that are still pretty well liked by collectors. You know, you've got games like Spider-Man. I personally love Roller Coaster Tycoon. Um, I think it's a very underrated game. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, of course. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Was, yeah, yeah. Yep. Since the Pinball Party. Um, um, yeah, they were, they, were, they were putting out games that people liked and. This also coincides at a point where people are starting to buy these for their homes first. I remember the right. first the first unboxing video I ever saw was a guy proudly unboxing his Monopoly game uh, around <laughs> yes. 2001, um, 2001 or 2002. And, and that's, you know, that's when people started buying these games, specifically buying brand new games for their home. And people started yeah. really talking about it online. What's the next game? Who's designing I it? I mean, I remember posting on Red Games Pinball as a teenager. Um, I, you know, I was like, I think 16 and posting on RGP pretending to be an adult, but like this very, a, very much a teenager, a message board. This is a Usenet group. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can do another podcast on this and explain to everybody what a Usenet group is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so yeah, they, let's, let's talk a little bit then about like the big dynamic that is happening, you know, from now the, I guess the two thousands starting the two thousands, how now the rise of home collecting is becoming a thing. Um, routes still exist, but they're not as lucrative or as, as plentiful as they used to be. But this it's new mostly, market, mostly bars, you know? right, right. But now we've got oh, this new market to, as opposed to an arcade. Right. Okay. And there's not a lot of places that have 10 games anymore. There's a, right. play, a bar that has two games or a right. movie theater that has a game. I mean, that was, right. and at the same time, the mm -hmm. Williams stuff is starting to get old and you're not seeing it out there as much. Right. So, uh, let's t talk to me a little bit then about like, yeah, the rise of the home collector, like what sort of prompted that sea change and then how did it affect the business model of, I mean, Stern specifically, but also just the industry more broadly? Well, it's gotta be the internet. I mean, I, I, I'd like to say it isn't, but, um, I mean, the first time I realized I could own my own pinball machine was, you know, just from being online and, and sure. finding like that news group. And a friend of mine told me sense. actually he was looking for a game. And um, I started to think, wow, you know, because when I was a kid, I had a I had a friend who had a couple games in his basement. He had a high speed um, and an F-14 and parents who weren't around a lot and he had beer and stuff. So we would hang out there all the time, you know, and right. play these pinball machines. Um, and uh, it started to, you know, at, at this point, you know, people started to there was a Mr. Pinball, which is still around. I, I wouldn't go there. It's all scammers now. But there was right. a, an actual classified uh, online thing that every morning would, it would list ads. And I would go there every morning and look at games okay. uh, where I could buy. And, you know, you could just search online and start finding people who were selling pinball machines. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, before that, I think the main way people bought and sold games was through like a monthly mailer. You know, there was like a newsletter and people would, would put their ads in that thing. And the prices, of course, are hilarious now. It's like, hmm, <laughs> gee, I'll take a high speed for 600 bucks. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, um, wait, so I actually have a question. So pr primarily were people who were buying these for home use, were they buying them new or were they getting them from bars and arcades and, and bowling? Uh, that's a good question. They were getting them. Uh, they were getting these games from other collectors. Okay. Mostly it was used games back when I started out. I think I bought my first game in 2001, but uh, people, people were buying mostly used right. games from each other. 
Uh, and and well, you're talking about like the business model then of the manufacturers, which at this point was just stern. Uh, how did that then change the way that they marketed their products? Like how, how did how did that difference in customers change the way they did business? That's a good question, too. And the answer is at first, not much. Um, hmm. You know, I don't know if it's to believe that he really felt like this because you don't know, you know, just because Gary says something doesn't mean it's, it's true. But he <laughs> he, as far as I know, well into the 2000s was still only thinking about operators. He didn't, he sure. claimed he didn't care. He claimed he didn't really consider the home market to be big and he, and he was marketing to operators. Um, so it really okay. hadn't changed much at that point. Um, and like I said, most people, the other thing that was happening is games were getting imported back to the States. Uh, all these nineties games have mm. been sent in during the, during the salad days, the eighties, nineties, um, thousands of games have been sent over to Europe, right. uh, Spain, okay. um, what have you. I know there's, there's several continents and countries. Well, and, and I, I definitely remember too, like I have seen collect like games in collectors, um, you know, collections, <laughs> uh, with like the coin slot will be something that you put Deutschmarks in, you know, right. um, Lear, <laughs> Franks, all sorts of stuff. And yeah. I will tell you those games stank to high fucking hell. I don't know what it was. Uh, but, uh, they smoked a lot over there. Well, I mean, <laughs> Italians, right? I got um, the, the smelliest game I ever got was a, was a shadow, um, that had been, I believe in France and, uh, yeah. you know, I can still smell that thing, but you know, I learned pretty, pretty early off the bat, like, okay, I'm going to have to get my hands dirty. If I want to, right. this is a hobby I want to be into. And, and again, the internet was a valuable resource for yeah. figuring out how to fix games. There were, you know, this guy Clay put these guides online, which literally this is wrong. This is how you fix it. And they were very well done. Right. And they helped someone like me who didn't really have any kind I, of. I think a, to your point, Levy, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, so I got into the hobby in like the mid aughts, which I think was around the time that like the collector market was becoming really an entity in and of itself. But I remember when I got on board with the hobby, it was still very much a thing of like, this isn't a, uh, a deluxe, like, we'll ship it to you with white glove. You know, it, it was expected that you would have some understanding of electronics and some understanding of how to, um, you know, take the thing, open it up and poke around in it. Even if all you were doing was rewiring a couple things or replacing the light bulbs, the idea was that you would be getting your hands at least a little bit dirty. But I feel like as we sort of move then through, to, you know, through into the, the 20 teens, that I think is kind of when it started changing. And that also, I think then sort of leads us into uh, sort of the boutique pinball manufacturing movement uh, and things like that, that we then started seeing. And this is really, I think what lays the groundwork for the main event, right? Well, yeah, I would say that's accurate. I mean, the, the market exploded in the two thousands because I mean, these game operators were not buying these games that were fresh off the ship. They right. sent them over there in the first place. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> You know, they got rid of them or they, they were, yeah. they, they don't, they didn't want these old games. They, this, the home market was suddenly flooded with all these awesome nineties games. Um, and huh. you know, the, the demand went up and as, especially as those games started to dry up, like in the early two thousands, I mean, that, that, you know, that boom didn't really last that long. Uh, it was pretty much over by the time I got into it already. Right. Um, but also but at you, that point too, you know, because that uh, extra supply has now dried up at this point too, prices start going up as well. Right. Demand has risen and now supply is dropping. And right. uh, there's still plenty of pinball machines for people to buy, but not everybody wants some 70s games for, you know, 200 bucks. Right. Or, uh, they also, manufacturers also start coming out with these repro guys, you know, who are doing God's work, put right. out new board sets oh, wow. for these ancient games with 
primitive boards that were not built to last. Uh, and suddenly a whole generation of like late seventies digital gauntlet games that had been basically worthless and bricked for, uh, for, for 10 or 15 years, or I'm sorry, 25 years, uh, were now, were now feasible to own these games and restore them. So hmm. a lot of resources and creativity was going into the home market, um, to get all these games going. Um, and it, you know, for a long time, that was enough for everybody. There was still tons of games. They were still pretty cheap. Um, and pretty much, you know, everybody was happy with it. Uh, what happens as the 2000s go on is uh, you get more people who more younger people and more older people with money who want brand new games. They don't want some, you know, right. some crappy old, you know, Bally. Uh, they don't want mechanical. They don't want something they're going to have to tinker with. They want a brand new showroom floor game. And uh, Stern's the only one to give it to them. Um, and at the same time, you know, Stern's not doing so hot. I really don't know the particulars of what was going on, but. I've heard rumors that in the late 2000, you know, I guess the aughts, you'd call that, the first 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've heard rumors that they they were on death's door, more or less. And, you know, the product took a pretty big nosedive. The right. late aughts games are not very good. Uh, yeah, remind me what some of those games are. 24, uh, CSI. Oh, yeah, those games are uh, shit. Like, Indiana heard, Jones. Yep. Um, and and so these these games are getting made specifically to sell to home buyers. No, these are still oh, going. No. Gary Stern is still still you know he's still okay. Thinks, okay. He's still going along with the model that's fed him and his dogs for you know 50, 60 years. Okay. Um, but what happened? And then you have you know there's a financial crisis at the time, and it hits everybody pretty hard. Uh, I never saw in the hobby. I never saw prices drop. Uh, what I saw is people just not selling their games. Like him, mm -hmm. people. And this is one. One common thing from the old men who were doing it when I started to the the uh, young hipster of today to everybody in between is pinball people hate losing money. They, they don't <laughs> like they don't understand that you know you buy a game and you've had it for five years and you've played hundreds and hundreds of games on it. You know you got to lose a few hundred bucks. You know whatever. It's not the end of the world. It, they take this personally. And um, <laughs> and you know a financial crisis. This, you get all these. One of the favorite threads that that pops up once a month on Pinside is, "Will the bubble burst?" And the answer is no. The bubble will not burst. It's you. People have been asking this question for twenty years, and the bubble is not <laughs> bursting because you know if if five hundred people decide to sell all their pinball machines, everybody will buy them. It's like right. I, I've always said the bubble will burst when there's a complete economic meltdown. And I thought we finally had that. You know, the first couple of months of this pandemic, I'm like, right. yeah. Finally. <laughs> yeah. I'm finally going to look like a moron and the bubble is going to burst. You know, the, price is, the prices just went up, you know, right. it just continues forever. The price. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's wealth hoarding, right? It's, it's like the same thing that leads to a lot of other, uh, capital accumulation things, right? It's like you sit it on is, your capital and you watch it grow. Yeah. Like real estate. It's a little yeah. different in that they're constantly selling their games. Sure. They're just selling it for more than they paid for it. Right. And, uh, except for maybe a couple of years, uh, you know, you know, at the end of the uh, the Bush years, the beginning of the Obama years, where people didn't want to sell their games for less than they paid for it. Right. And they just kind of held on to them. For, ever since that time, that's pretty much been it. And at the same time, demand has continued to explode as the Internet is, as, you know, I've, it used to not be such a thing. If, if a homeowner, you know, through my website called me, oh, I got some games in the basement. Great. You know, I can work on a deal and get some games pretty cheap. Now, of course, the first thing anybody does when they're trying to sell an old game they've had forever is Google. Right. But they, you know, it helps me too, because I mean, my prices don't look so bad when I know right. people are, are finding oh, yeah. the, the top Google search is, you know, a, a 24 for seven, nine and seven, you know, $8,000. Um, 
But again, it's just the, the market, the home market really exploded. And finally, around this time, are we moving on to the next phase? Yeah, now? let's let's move on the next phase. This so is, we're this getting is the into big, the 2010s now. We're getting the 2010s at this point. Okay. You know, we've got a pretty a pretty large, pretty substantial market full of, full of guys who, and it, it is almost all guys who are um, looking to. Uh, yeah, get games that are ready to go, that are special, that are every bit as special as they are, right? Correct. Uh, but at this point, the market is not really caught up to them. Stern isn't doing so hot. Their games are getting worse, uh, not better, and you know less complex. Um, and at this point, a uh, Stern distributor and a guy who I believe made redemption games at that point, um, Jersey Jack, Jack Girani, I believe, right. was actually from Brooklyn. But uh, it was out. I'm sorry. What is a redemption game? Uh, ticket spitter, kitty gambling. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, which yeah. is a very profitable market. Those are huge. You know, the, right? Uh, like the little like light that goes around in a wheel kind of stuff. Right. You can win an iPad. You win tickets. Oh yeah. You yeah, have yeah. A, a bushel of tickets that you spent all summer working on. You trade right. it for a, a ten-inch TV. And most <laughs> crucially, and most of course, most, most crucially with redemptions. Um, you can set what the payout is going to be. You can stack the right. odds. It's not a game of right. skill like pinball. It's purely a game of chance. It's, it's kid and gamble. Yeah. And, and not just for kids, like grownups like this right. stuff. Um, so uh, at that point, um, this guy, and I think he's had, you know, again, I, I don't really know the specifics, but I think maybe he, he had a working relationship with Stern that was pretty close. You know, he was a big distributor on the East Coast. A big seller of games, and he sold games to people in in homes. You know, I I still come across games um, that have the pinball sales sticker on mm. it. Um, and mm. there was a lot of old time retailers. There was a guy Todd who's still in the business TNT. Um, I get some of his every games every now and then. Uh, there were guys selling specifically to the home market, and Jack was one of them. And what Jack saw, as as far as I understand, is that there was a a, a market that was not being served. Um, mm. People who wanted the games of their dreams, um, more, more innovative games, more complicated games, something that seemed a little, a little newer than what Stern really had been putting out for about, you know, 15 years unchanged, 20 right. years almost at this point. And, 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 and again, like it's worth noting, like this is at a point where the quality, it, it's not just that the quality of Stern's games in terms of like the gameplay design and everything is poor in the quality of the art. It's also the games themselves. They feel flimsier than they have. You know, they're, they're if you play a, a Stern game from this era, it doesn't stand up to the Stern games produced earlier in the decade or for that matter, the games produced later in the, you know, in the in the 2010s. And of course, uh, you know, the old timers like myself, uh, you know, they never really seemed as good as the mm -hmm. brilliant stuff that we fell in love with in high school and college. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that you, that's just a natural nostalgia, I guess, but they never, you know, they never felt like they had the, it is, the flippers weren't as good. The games weren't as creative. Um, you know, I'd compare something like Ripley's Believe It or Not to, you know, Attack from Mars or Adam's Family. And then they just didn't really seem to have that kind of magic Yes, uh, that you can't. Which is another thing that people, pinball people, talk about all the time is pinball magic, right? Right. <laughs> Attack There's from you, Mars is what you have, right, Josh? I do have an Attack from Mars. Yeah. yeah. So again, uh, about 2010 or so, um, Jack decides to start his own pinball company, uh, which went by the name of Jersey Jack. Um, he claims it wasn't his ego; they just they, they like the sound of it and the alliteration. Um, <laughs> the logo is the state of New Jersey. You know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, and they're headquartered <laughs> out. Where are they headquartered out of? 
Uh, well, now they're out of Chicago. They, right. They're originally the, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Right? Jersey Jacks of Chicago. <laughs> well, uh, originally their manufacturing was in Jersey near okay. Six Flags over in Lakewood. Oh, okay. And uh, all most of their designers and, and tech guys, I believe, were in Chicago. Right. Um, and, and, and I remember when Jersey Jack got started, too, because it was a big deal, right? Like at that time, Stern had been the only game in town for a solid decade. And um, it was like, wow. Like we are going to get another true first class pinball manufacturer that is making like real mm-hmm. games and is going to make games that sort of make up for the lack of innovation of mechanical complexity and so forth uh, that we're currently dealing with uh, with Stern. Like these are going to be okay. big, beautiful, exciting games. And yeah, this was exactly the pitch that was made and they were going to be games made for the home market that Jack was way more in touch with than Gary Stern was. So he had this, I, I think he had this wizard of Oz license already from a redemption game he had made. Oh, okay. Um, and I thought it was kind of an interesting choice for license. It was a pretty popular timeless movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, he, he, they, they, they make this game. It took a couple of years for it to come out. There were a lot of bumps in the road, but it was very extravagant. It had an LCD screen in it for the first time, like a 20 inch monitor or bigger in the, in the head. Right. Cause um, up until, up until this game, um, all of the Stern games were still using old school dot matrix displays. Um, right. these were the, you okay. know, and, and maybe you've seen these, Brian, these red are like, the, yeah, orange the orange lights, or the red, yeah. like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, this game, it, I believe it was well received. People bought them, you know, they pre-ordered them. They paid money up front. But of right. course it turns out the price was way too low at first mm-hmm. because nobody ever gets this right. Nobody understands what it's mm-hmm. going to cost to build and design and, and, and distribute a pinball machine. So they ended, they kept having to raise the price as these things rolled out of the factory. So um, was this selling exclusively to collectors and home buyers, or were, were some of them going to bars, bowling alleys, arcades, movies? Some of them were getting out there, sure. Okay. Um, but I, I, it was the for, without a doubt, it was the first pinball company that was focused on the home market. Okay. Um, and it was successful huh. in doing that. I mean, the game had some some bumps in the road, and there were a number of tech issues. And you know, there's always mm. it's 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 run by a PC here. I don't know if they still are, but these first ones had a ton of like PC stuff on the bottom of the cabinet. Um, it was kind of a different design. The head was wow. both had the head had no boards. It really just had this screen in it. Um, it had great stereo sound. I, I ended up with a Wizard of Oz a couple of years ago for a while, and it was it was pretty cool. I mean, the sound is amazing. Yeah, it's it a fun little game. Packed with gimmicks. Yeah, you've got um, like okay. the the you've got the um up in the like top right corner of the play field. There's a little spinning there's, house. There's two upper oh, wow. play fields. Right. Yeah. The other one. There. The one Wait. is the house, and then the other one is the um. What is it again? The, there's the twister one, and then there's like a. a that castle that you, with one right. slipper that you kind of right, both right, 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 um, oh, like right. Again, whenever people are clamoring for innovation, they always mean two things: magnets and upper slash lower playfields. <laughs> the, <same, laughs> the same stuff. The same stuff that have been in games for fifty years. You know right. that that were that were blowing minds in 19, 1982 or whatever. This is yeah. this is the innovation people want. And when games come out and they don't have magnets and upper playfields, people are always disappointed. <laughs> Right. Um, so even it, they almost always suck. So we, yeah, no, well, I, with a, I mean, I feel like, yeah, there's just a couple, I mean, Black Knight is the one that immediately, Black Knight 2K is like one of the few ones with a play upper play field. That's actually interesting. There just aren't that many of them that really do the thing correctly. But they're there and that's what people want. That's right. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so now we, sh- I don't know if we should re- rewind a little bit, but yeah, 
Um, okay. And about two, I, I don't know about the years exactly. There was one of the games that I'm going to go back into the uh, Capcom thing with Big Bang. Yes, let's talk yeah, about yeah. Big Bang. Um, this was a game that as Captain was, as Capcom was on the way out, I don't think they were ever on secure footing. And I think their Japanese overlords were probably tired of losing money. I mean, they were a video game company, you right, know? Right. Um, well, and, and Capcom uh, as a company is notorious for putting a bullet in the brain of anything that is looking anything less than 100% promising, including killing off many of their most beloved video game franchises. Wow. Well, right. I didn't know that, but in 1995 or 1996, you know, Capcom probably did Capcom pinball probably didn't look like such a good bet to right. the guys who were counting the money. Um, plus they were run by a complete lunatic, this guy, Python, uh, who designed, um, he's an Ann Rand adherent from sweet. Czechoslovakia. He's from one of the Iron Curtain was, countries. Yes. Was, um, was Python his real name? or, or His real this... name was D'Angelo, I believe. Okay. Python D'Angelo. I don't know what his right. first name yeah, yeah, yeah. was. His first name. I don't know. <laughs> um, but he, he was the creative genius behind stuff like uh, Pinbot, um, Cyclone. Like That's all his art and his ideas. Those are great games, um, too. Um, as far as he's concerned, everybody else who was involved in any of those games is like a moron who was just right. trying to steal his credit. Yeah. It's like one of these guys. Um, but, uh, he was, they put him in charge of this Capcom company and the rumor has it, this company was collapsed when the Japanese CEO flew to America. I think they were in California, but I'm not sure, but he, but he flew in to see what they were up to. And Python proudly showed off Zingy Bingy, uh, his new <laughs> prototype game that was going to save pinball yet again, because, you know, pinball was on the way out. And this was basically... A game about fucking, I guess. Uh, can we say that on that podcast? On oh, you podcast? can say you can say fuck yeah. all you want. All right, there was yeah. like you basically like the playfield. The playfield has two nude adults, and <laughs> and the pop bumpers are tits, and like you're supposed to like like tickle her 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 badge with your flipper finger. It, it is insane. It's insane. And if you Google it, you will find a couple blurry photos of Zingy Bangy. I, I don't think I've ever that, seen that, that makes me think of, Have you I remember ever heard the, about it? No. I remember yeah. in the old arcade days, someone had put out a, a Pong ripoff where instead of a paddle or a knob, it was just a pair of tits on the board. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know I, if they were made out of silicone or, you know, if they were squishy or if well, they were hard there were, plastic there were, or There what. was also that, um, there was that mod of the game, this the old, I think it was an electromechanical game called Big Deal that got modded into a game called Big Dick. Uh, <laughs> you remember That's Big correct. Dick, Levy? Yes. Uh, yeah, I know all about Big Dick. Um, <laughs> Have you ever seen one? That was a Honestly, novel. I'm a fan. This sounds great. Oh, I've, yeah. seen, I've seen photos of it. It was a novelty game, I right. think, that was made for just a couple employees. Right. Um, but it's it's decidedly hardcore pornographic in yeah. the art. Um, and supposedly all the women on the backlash were people who worked at, like, Bally. Oh you my know, God! Like if you want to take a, a, a trip down bizarro pornographic pinball memory lane, you, you might want to Google Zingy Bingy for sure, and um, and Big Dick. But Zingy Bingy supposedly, <laughs> supposedly, I've Googled Big Dick many times. Of course, <laughs> uh, supposedly the CEO of Capcom. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen Gung Ho, but I picture it being kind of like that. You know, where the the car company okay. guy comes over to see what these people are up to, and he just kind of silently, wordlessly, you know, gets the pitch and then flies back to Japan and immediately pulls the plug on the right. pinball division. 
Uh, so that was the end of Capcom. <laughs> but they did get one game out. And they didn't get it out. They produced 10 they, prototypes. Right, right. Uh, okay. um, and they did make several well, they, games. They did make, of, uh, yeah, there was that, there was that, it was a pool game, right? It was a break shot, which is right. a throwback game. It's okay, you know? Um, right. They seem pretty well built, but it, it just was the wrong time to be trying to get on the gravy train. Right. Um, but they got into the industry. It didn't work out. They got it. And the last thing they did, besides the zingy bingy prototype, um, <laughs> which as far as I know, no longer exists, but somebody might have this thing in their, in their basement somewhere in their sex uh, dungeon. Lis- listeners, if you have access to the prototype of zingy bingy, uh, we will offer you a bounty of $500. I would pay $500 just to play one just to game. Play, so just to play a game of Zingy Bingy. You've heard it here yeah, first, folks. But I don't think they even had a back box, so I don't think this game was too far <laughs> along. I can only imagine the conversation that these guys had. Oh, that's you know, fucking awesome. Like back to, to the land of the rising yeah, let's, sun. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about Big Bang Bar. All right, so <laughs> they did produce this prototype, which was uh, brought to the Chicago Expo show um, and very well received. And it's this big bang bar game. The, it's again, a very adult themed game. Yeah, Pretty horny. It's pretty horny. You get the joke, okay. big bang bar, but not right, you know, big bang, you know, big bang with the sex stuff. Right. And it was an adult theme about kind of a star Wars bar. And, uh, you know, there's drinking aliens, people get into fights and it's, it's pretty, you know, it's a women, it's an amusing game and it is an adult theme mm-hmm. game. It looks cool. I think it's pretty fun to play. I've played it. Yeah, um, it's fun. There's a, the, the most memorable thing. If anybody remembers anything about Big Bang Bar, it's that there's a little tube in the middle of the play field that has this gyrating, uh, lady, <laughs> Um, and that's like, that's the toy that like, you know, is, is really memorable in that game. Yeah, and, like, it was kind of like the pole dancers in right. uh, the Sopranos game. Right. Um, and it had these cool aliens. Remember those aliens in Sesame street with the sideways mouths that were torment <laughs> uh-huh. Bert and Ernie. Um, yeah. they kind of look like those and those things right. turn around and you lock the ball in their big alien mouths. Um, it's a fun game. It had a lot of humor in it and it was, yeah. it, it probably would have been a very well received game if it had reached production, which it never did. They only made a handful of prototypes, hmm. maybe a dozen. And if, you know, I believe that most of these prototypes were bought off the floor of Expo for a fairly low price. I think people already knew the company was out of business at that point and people bought these games. Uh, so you fast forward, you know, 15, 10 years and, you know, these games are going for $25,000 on eBay if they ever come up. Uh, which, you know, back then even was a huge sum of money for a pinball machine. Yeah. Uh, I think one was lost in a fire or something. You know. <laughs> but uh, this guy, Gene Cunningham, and again, I don't know all the nuts and bolts of this stuff, but he bought a, a ton of pinball stuff when Williams went out of business. Yeah, he just had a fuckload of parts, right? Like just he, all he the parts. Rich, and- he, he was an eccentric rich guy who loved pinball, who bought all the parts. And um, he had all the Capcom stuff. And uh, this included uh, 125 Capcom board sets. Uh, and it included Big Bang Bar translates and it included, I guess, oh. Big Bang Bar paperwork. Um, and I guess whatever had been made for this game. Uh, and, you know, sometime around 2005, you know, he announces he's going to remake this game um, using the existing board sets. So he's only going to make wow. 120 of them or whatever. They're going to cost, I believe, $4,500. You're going to send them your money now. You can send half the money now, and then when he's, he says he's going to build it, you send the other half. Uh, this was kind of an unheard of concept, and uh, I was intrigued, but at that point in my life, um, $4,500 was probably all I had, maybe you know, <laughs> half of my life yeah. savings, and it just didn't seem prudent to be sending it to some guy I didn't really know for some project that didn't sound like it had a lot of chances of success for me. I mean, this guy did not own a pinball factory. 
And I remember, again, back then, uh, I remember the buzz like on RGP about it and everybody being like, who the hell is this Gene guy? Like, is people he... knew who he was, but they knew who he is... was, but they didn't know if he had the if he could make it happen. Right. Can this guy make pinball machines? Right. And it just seems really hard to make pinball machines. And, uh, and but people enough people were willing to give him his money that, that they did. The run did sell out and, and not too much time. And it was okay. a. Really, probably the first of these pinball pre-orders that have become so common over the last 10 years. Uh, I'm going to build something. I need your money to build it. Send me money and I'll yeah, build so you. They're, they're, they're pre-ordering even before any of the manufacturing has has gone underway. Yes. So there, there is, there, there, there's a lot of trust involved in that. Oh, <laughs> so much trust. <laughs> Hope. I don't, I don't know what it is. People people wanted a big bang bar and they didn't want to spend 25 grand for one. And yeah. you couldn't even just reach in your pocket and spend 25 grand for a big bang bar. They weren't like coming up for sales too often. Right. Right. Um there was a good thing no one's gonna take advantage of this hope and goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a long story and it took several years, but somehow I still don't know how this fucking guy pulled it off. They made every one of these pinball machines. Um, huh. It involved a lot of people doing a lot of stuff for free, I think, who wanted these games uh, to get made. You know, people flew to Illinois or wherever this guy, I think it was Illinois. His company was called Illinois Pinball, uh, Gene's company. And um, people, you know, it became a project that was driven still hmm. by, you know, some diehards in the community. Um, guys who flew over there and helped put these games together by hand so they could get wow. their games. And then as a result, everybody else got their games too. Uh, they, they made this thing happen. They, it took a few years. It happened. Nobody lost their money. Everybody got games, which are pretty damn good. I mean, they are playable yeah. games. They're reliable. Don't forget, he was using all the original boards. I don't know what they yeah. had to make. Play fields, um, some game-specific parts. I don't know if they had to make the plastics. They got all this stuff made. They had a game. Somebody lent them their Big Bang Bar, and they disassembled this thing. And reverse engineer the entire yeah, just, game. Just a pure, like, wow. just the purest of passion projects, right? And, like, that's also the thing that I think is worth noting is, like, when you get passionate pinball people on a thing, they will not stop. Like, it mm -hmm. is an all-consuming passion. That's really the only yeah. way to put it. And it was fun to watch. You know, you there were a year where you would hear nothing. And you were like, these guys have lost their money. <laughs> this is never going to happen. This is exactly what the naysayers said would happen. You know, right. not everybody was like, yeah, I think it's a great idea. You, you dudes should send this money in. Um, and I'm trying to remember, did they like, because 4,500 uh, a pop was the ask. Did they end up charging more once they shipped or did just, they just no, eat Gene, it? Because that was nowhere near enough money, obviously. It turned out to be no. Gene Cunningham lost a ton of money on this right. project. Um, I don't know if they ever raised wow. the price. Little, you know, and he would have been smart to keep 10 of these for himself. You know, he could have made, made some sure. money, but... They were, I believe, going when they did come out and they actually start showing people's houses. You know, people were buying them off the loading dock. They were changing hands instantly. Sure. And I think the going rate was about ten grand at that point. Wow. Oh my um, god. What's what about now? What's the price on one of those now? I haven't seen one for sale for a while, but I would guess fifteen to twenty will right. probably get you so, a, a big bang bar. So, and so you know, getting I've, close to the price of like the originals. Back well, and I can't even tell you what an original. Yeah, who knows what those so, are. So, so just to, just to then kind of frame this up, right? On the one hand, we now have, you know, Big Bang Bar, the ultimate passion project, which somehow shipped the guy who, you know, did it, lost a shitload of money on it. But, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, he had the money to lose. So, like, whatever, it's it's a net win for the pinball community. Right. Um, additionally, we've got Jersey Jack out here and they are now 
manufacturing games. Like after uh, Wizard of Oz comes out, then uh, I yeah. think it was The Hobbit was the next one, right? After that, which also shipped. Right, Hobbit. Um, and, you know, he's had, you know, then he's got two games out. And then I guess the third game was dialed in. Right. So now he's got three games. So, and dialed in know. is, uh, I think, a fucking great game. I love that. It's a good game. Yeah. Does Gene start making more cabinets as well no no gene loses all his money in the financial meltdown and oh, okay. um, his collection goes to seed and it's actually kind of a sad story he, he died oh. a few few years after that um oh, so don't forget though you know you're talking about um you know the 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 other big winners in this for the people who took a chance and spent their forty five hundred dollars or five grand right. on a big bang bar they right, immediately right. Uh, dozens of them immediately made thousands of dollars. I was going to say, it's like, it's like a literal overnight two X ROI. And then well, if you look at it, it over longer... four years, yeah. but <laughs> they, well, I'm saying once it actually shipped, right? Like yes. you were saying, they were buying them off the loading dock, you know? Yes. Their, their patience wow. and their uh, faith was rewarded. Right. Uh, it was well rewarded. And a lot of people, I think, were lulled into a, a, a sense that this is easy to do. Right. Um, this guy, who didn't really know anything about pinball manufacturing, uh, was able to crank these things out. Um, so, you know, and he didn't know anything about pinball. He was just a, just a rich enthusiast. Uh, and, you know, there you go. Yeah, pretty incredible uh, story. So outside of that, we also have a couple other small scale players, which don't, I don't think we really need to talk about at length. But like you've got Spooky Pinball, which does like some small limited runs, like I think 300, 400 games per run or something they're, like that. They're up their latest game is in the, in the, in the four digits. Yeah, they're, okay, be, okay. they're a little different okay. in that it's all that's all more recent. I mean, you're talking right. the last five years. Really. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. At this point, you know, we have a number of viable pinball games. Right. We have American Pinball. Right. Who just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, you know, and we've got, uh, Spooky, we've got Stern, we've got Jersey Jack, and you got a number of other kind of boutique guys trying to start to get going and taking pre-order money and doing the and, stuff we've seen a million times. And at this point, obviously the industry has, has pretty much completely flipped from how it was, um, you know, even at the beginning of the millennium where, you know, it was the vast majority was going out to route and then a little bit to home collectors at this point. We are when I say at this point, we're saying like at this point being like maybe about five years ago, this is now an industry that is driven by the home collector, right? We'll never, you know, I'm not in the industry. I don't see the books. We'll never really know what the breakdown is, sure. but it sure seems like the majority of pinball machines are going to homes and even the ones that are going wow. locations. I mean, these locations now that have tons of pinball machines tend to be run by enthusiasts, right? You know, who started a oh, bar yeah, yeah, yeah. or started an arcade. So it, it really is more of an enthusiast driven thing than an old school operator operator business. Um, right. And the arcades are still gone more or less. It's all about bars now, barcades. Um, you know, if you're a kid and you want to go play 50 pinball machines, you know, good luck finding a place right. to do it. Yeah. Um, but there's some bars and places like that, that, that offer the opportunity. So at this um, point, then I feel like it would behoove us for you to sort of introduce us to one of the biggest players in what is going to now be the main event, a man named John Papaduke. Tell me about him. All right. John Papaduke is a, a fairly late, he's a veteran at this point, but he was kind of a latecomer to the game. Um, he was a young designer. I don't know much about his past or, or why, how he ended up at Williams, but he started designing games for them in the mid nineties. His first project was world cup soccer, which you might've played. It's a fun game. Um, it's uh, it's a soccer themed game, you know, for when uh, the, the world cup was in the States in 94, um, but you're going to see something here, which is kind of an interesting thing that you're going to see pop up again and again with this guy uh, in that the, the word on the street is that the game was taken away from him before it was completed. 
uh, due to it being over budget, behind schedule, uh, hmm. and some old some of the old timers at, at Williams Valley finished it, and it was his first game, and uh, he was stubborn. They said he was stubborn. He was tough to work with, and they needed to swoop in here and finish this game up for him and get it out. And it was and a is successful that, is game. It- is that something that is common with first time designers or is that already a bit of a, uh, unusual thing? Uh, I've never, this is the only time I've ever heard about that happen. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't, you know, maybe an industry guy can say, but, uh, <laughs> that's the first time I've ever heard this happen. And, uh, the game came out it was a success. You know, they sold some, it made some money. Uh, and then he starts to, to make, uh, his own games. And these were kind of a different game that, that we've seen. They were um, unlicensed. They were fantastical. Uh, they had a lot of his thing is to take gimmicks from old 60s and 50s games that people haven't seen in decades and kind of reintroduce them into these newer games. Hmm. Um, you have Theater of Magic, which had magnets all over it. It has this cool spinning uh, chest thing that you shoot. It's got really cool, you know, it's a magic theme. It was supposed to be, I heard, a David Copperfield license, which they did not get. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Yeah, Brian, have you ever have you ever played Theater of Magic? It's got the big box that spins around and you hit the box and that's how you start the multiball. Uh-huh. Yep, I have played that one. Uh, I think it's a cool game. When it, when it came out and I was in college, I was pretty hooked on it. Um, even then, I knew it was the golden age of pinball. I was playing like right. Adam's Family, Creature, yeah. Theater of Magic. I was like, these are the coolest games like that I've ever, that will ever be. Yeah. You know, I was under their spell. And even I knew that, like, I was like, you know, I've been playing <laughs> pinball for you know, 10 years and these are the best games. It's, it's, it's yeah. wild. I remember there were some Gottlieb games next to it. And I was like, these are terrible. I played right. like one game and then I was like, back, <laughs> back on Adam's family. So this game was good. Uh, I don't know if these, again, the whole industry is declining at this time. And I'm sure these games aren't selling as well, but it's, it's not really his fault. Right. Um, then he makes uh, Tales of the Arabian Nights. Um, this has the spinning lamp on it, which is, again, stolen from 70s uh, Williams EMs, like triple action. Um, his games, they tend to not have the best rules for like accomplished players. They're, they're kind of, they're exploitable. You time out modes. They're, Hmm. they're not the best rule set games, but they are flashy games and they have that kind of intangible magic that, that people later on would really gravitate towards. And they're very accessible too. If you're a first time player, especially with a game like Totan, it's pretty easy to get your head around what it is that you need to do. Or theater magic. You shoot this chest. Shoot the box. Right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the other one was uh, Circus Voltaire was his game. Um, and again, it's covered in purple and ne- literal neon. It's one of the coolest looking machines ever made, in my opinion. It's so it's got cool. this thing popping up, this Joker head that you shoot at. It's got magnets all over the place. Um, it's very J Poppy. That's his nickname. And uh, um, <laughs> this game did not sell. It was uh, it didn't work on location. The ball got stuck all the time. They ended up blowing this game out for eighteen hundred dollars. Um, Would that I could have gotten one. <laughs> everybody wishes they could have got. If you put new in box Circus Voltaire's on sale right now for eighteen hundred dollars, you would sell that ten thousand of them. Yeah. So that was pretty much the J Pop story. He was also involved in the um, the Pin Two K that you were talking about earlier. Right. It was his concept, I believe. Oh, or I didn't he know that. Had, he had a version of the concept which didn't work as well, and they okay. wanted somebody else's version of the concept. Hmm. I, I think. Um, so that's pretty much it. You know, he's out of the business. Um, uh, Williams well, he's, is out of the but, business. He, but, well, he's, he's, he's gone, but he's not out, right? He's because, retired. You know, he is not working for anybody. But then... Uh, Stern is around for 10 years. <laughs> and Stern, which hired, which employs a number of old school Williams guys, surely, you know, they hired, they hired Pat Lawler. Right. Adam's family fan. They, they've hired Steve Ritchie, who's made a million great games. 
Um, they had Lyman over there doing right. rules. They, they had a ton of uh, Williams old timers. Well, for some answer. reason, John Papaduke doesn't come back. But then he's we on the do, street. We, we do end up hearing about him, though. Uh, not too long after, and that comes in the form of a pitch for a game called Magic Girl. I hate to tell you, there was one small thing before that. He was, oh, sorry, uh, yes. He managed to talk himself into getting hired by a toy manufacturer called Zizzle. Um, and right. Zizzle, under his stewardship, put out for about $500 a piece these basically toy pinball machines uh, Pirates of the Caribbean was one. I think they were all the same layout. You never heard of these Zizzles before? No, I haven't heard of like little, like a uh, tabletop kind of pinball. They're bigger than that. They're modeled okay. more on the seventies home models that Sears sold, like Bally Fireball and Evil Knievel. They, they, you know, they have, they're, I would say they're about half size maybe okay. of a real pinball okay. machine. Okay. Um, maybe and, more, yeah. more analogous to those, um, the little like, I don't know, coffee table machines like Night Moves or something like no, that? No, because they have legs, you know. They're just, oh, okay. little baby, okay. just little baby pinball machines. You know, they got legs that you would put on when you take it out of the box. Okay. Um, and this project, like every, you know, it flopped. They were blowing these things out at one okay. point at Best Buy for 50 bucks. Um, nice. But you still see them to this day, people selling them. Uh, and my, my favorite zizzle gambit is when someone drags one of these things to a show to get in for free, and they put their zizzle in on the free play area. <laughs> <laughs> like, like right. around town, and you'll That's be going so down funny. the row, and you'll see a, a fucking little zizzle machine there. That rules. <laughs> for, 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 those, for those who are not familiar with, this, with the sort of these shows, by the way, most pinball shows, you can get totally free admission so long as you bring at least one game of your own. That's a really nice, like, okay. way around that rule. I love right. that. And it saves you, like, 20 bucks. I mean, yes. you don't do it it's so dumb. Free. It's yeah. like... Nobody's gonna buy it off of you. Nobody wants it. Like you, you, you do it to give back and to try to sell. Some that's games. right. That's you know, right. I've done it. I've dragged games to Allentown before, uh -huh. and you know maybe sell them, maybe bring them back home. But that's the Zizzle story. It, it was not a success, um, and I'm sure it was all his idea. And I'm sure he pitched these guys on it. And I'm sure they lost a lot of money making Zizzle pinball machine. Now they tend to go for a few hundred bucks, actually, okay. Um, okay. which I still think is moronic to spend that kind of money on a Zizzle pinball machine. But look it up. There were people on RGP who I swear to Christ were excited about these Zizzle games. It's like, J-Pop's <laughs> getting back into the game? Like, I know they're toys, but what kind of magic does he have in store for us? Pinball magic! <laughs> it, it turns out it, it was just a toy. They, they weren't. You know, right. just, they're stupid little games. So again, the J-pop story ends once again until until do you want to leave this in or no, you you go for it, man, because I actually don't remember exactly how this whole thing came about. I just remember hearing about Magic Girl and a whole bunch of people immediately uh, becoming suckers because that seems to always be what happens in these situations. First came the announcement. Uh, okay. J-pop, uh, John Pop, the legend. Um, and I'll just very quickly, I'll share you my personal thoughts on J-pop. I, I don't think there's a single legend in pinball that is built on such a shaky foundation. I mean, this guy made like four games and most of them kind of blow if you're actually a good player. Um, they, didn't make, they didn't sell. They didn't make money for Bally right. Williams. They didn't make money for operators. Uh, there's really not. And they didn't succeed. Like they were, you know, yeah. he was a, a steward during the death of Pinball. And these, sure. There, but there are people who think this guy is a legend. And they were very excited when he announced to the world that he's going to make 15 games. I'm sorry, one game, but he's going to make 15 of them or 20 of them. A very small, oh, limited man. amount of games, Magic Girl. 
Um, it's going to be a, a, a the, you know, the concept speaks for itself. It's a magic girl. <laughs> but Brian, uh, Brian, is, Brian has a very stupefied expression. If we, if we got to this, what year is this? Uh, this 2010 or so. Maybe okay, right so at, this is this is probably right after the uh, Jersey Jack thing started, and okay. it's proven that people will pay more money um, for. I mean, Stern games were right. selling for about four thousand dollars at this time, and I believe the launch price of the Wizard of Oz was maybe six thousand. Sounds right. Which turned out to be way too low and because he was right. losing money on every game and they raised it maybe another thousand times. And, and so now we've also got Magic Girl coming in. We've got play. Magic Girl and he's got a really <laughs> splashy website and okay. it's it's got all the whimsical J-pop shit everybody loves. It's got it's got art that's stolen from somebody else that he didn't have anything to do with. It's <laughs> super magical. It's It's got, you know, flaming magic balls flying at you. It's got a hot chick with a giant rack who's obviously magical. And she's, she's the magic got, actually comes from her boobs. That's why she's so magical. Generates this magic from her, her chest. And, <laughs> and it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, it's pitched as this magic pinball experience that is going to be J-pop unchained. You know, right. he's finally J-pop going unchained. to free from the corporate overlords over at Williams Valley. It's so funny because now everybody thinks, you know, Gary Stearns is cheap Jews trying to screw them and he won't put won't put the magic in the games that they want. All these old timers who worked at Williams said the exact same shit about Valley Williams. Steve Ritchie, <laughs> right. Steve Ritchie, who just left Jersey, uh, just left Stern to go to Jersey Jack and is now complaining about, you know, trashing everybody he worked with for the last 15 years at Stern, said the same shit about Williams after that whole thing collapsed. They're, they're bean counters over there. They're they're always watching the bill of material. They're they're crushing my dreams. That's why you don't put guys like this in charge of right. the pinball company. Right, right. Because the point of the pinball yeah. company is to make money. You know. Yeah. yeah if, you, if you're not if you're not making money, you can't stay in business. And it into that right. point about making money, Brian. Um, you know a thing or two. I mean, you're not an economics expert or anything, but I know you know a thing or two about economics. I'm curious. Yeah, buy like, low, sell high. Yeah, so I'm curious. Like, <laughs> you you hear something about, like, you know, we're going to do an ultra-limited run of 15 to 20 games, um, and it's going to be the coolest pinball machine you've ever seen. Yeah, that doesn't um, make any sense at all. It's not I mean, unless, unless you're selling it for, like, $100,000 or something. Like, you're not. You're selling it for, yeah. I believe, $15,000. So oh, maybe $12,000. Yeah, God. So we had this little graphic. I still remember it. I tried to find it on the Wayback Machine, but it seems to be uh-huh. scrubbed from history. It had this little page, like, for sale, you know, to buy. And there were these tiny little rabbits, like the rabbits you pull out of a hat. And, uh-huh. and if the rabbit was gray, it showed that that rabbit was sold. So there were, like, 20 of okay. these rabbits. And every day there's fewer rabbits Ooh. and you're losing your opportunity. And I swear, as, as God is my witness, <laughs> I swear I'm like, Holy shit! Am I missing the boat on this? Am I, you know, I should have gone. Yeah, in that's on such that. a great. That's such a great little like uh, tantalizing detail to be like, oh, it's oh, it's counting down. I don't want to miss out on this this right. rabbit, and there's only five or six of these fucking things left. And uh, you know, these aren't like real rabbits. They're not going to fucking sprout out a bunch of more rabbits. There's only fifteen <laughs> of these things that are going to get made. It's the most exclusive. You know, this is your chance. This is your chance to get the original Big Bang bar. It's yeah. gonna be 15 of them. We're all gonna be, we're all gonna retire off of these magic girls. And for about 10 minutes, I'm like, you know, they pulled it off with Big Bang Bar, they made it look easy. Um, this guy was in the industry, you know, and I didn't know the backstory necessarily right. about about all the stuff that that about his entire career. I just know that here's a guy who made these 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 cool games. Um, he's 
He's been in the industry. He's making this pitch. He knows what he's doing. And, you know, some people are going to get these magic girls and it's going to be a dream come true. And do right. I want to be one of them? Uh, at this point, I had probably now doubled my life savings to about $10,000, which is probably <laughs> enough to put down the initial uh, deposit on the magic girl. He yeah. was asking... Yeah, now, and, and, and by the way, it's, it's worth noting at this point, this is this is fully, you need to pay the full amount up front, right? Or at least not much tr- of it? Not true. I think, Okay. honestly, again, as, as years have gone by and people have told their stories, I think he was just, if you wanted to send him two grand, you could send him two grand. Okay. If you wanted to okay. send him five grand, you just, it's just, the key is send him money. Send him money. Send and money. When the game is done, you're going to pay the, the balance. Right. Um, okay. So anyway, you know, I'm not a, a magic girl aficionado uh, expert in that I don't yeah. know all the twists and turns about it. All I know is four years later, he still hadn't really produced much except some pictures of his factory, parts bins, you know, pictures of the parts he made, like a pop bumper, uh, the art that, you know, he really had nothing to do with. Um, and finally, I do know that in 2014, you know, people are finally, the natives are starting to get a little restless. Right. Uh, he also at this point <laughs> asked people for more money. Um, yeah. you know, he'd hit them up for their full, uh, bound, remaining balance. Right. Uh, and he'd also started to go off in strange tangents. Um, Hey, guess what? I might make this kiss game out of nowhere. He built out of foam, foam core. He loves making things out of foam. He made a, a, if you just looked at this, you'd be like, wow, this is a working pinball machine. I mean, it was made out of balsa wood and foam and it had a ton of LEDs in it and it was kiss. It was the rock band kiss in all of its glory. And it looked pretty cool. It had more stone artwork from Zombie Yeti, who uh, one of the thing, good things about this is this guy found permanent employment in the pinball industry. I think he's still think he's Stern's only full-time uh, artist mm. at this point. So this this uh, artist's name is Zombie Yeti? I don't know what his real name is, but that's his, uh, but his I, Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. he also the one who worked on Magic Girl's art? Or Yes, he worked okay, on all okay. the J-pop stuff. And uh, I was going to say, I, I, I just Googled Magic Girl, and I was like, this. I, I like it. I like the yeah, way it looks. It's a nice-looking nice nice art. But so take this also Sorry. taking a step back as well, you know, I just I just did the crunch the numbers real quick on my calculator. We're talking about trying to uh, execute uh, something without any real pre-existing capital. Um, fifteen games at fifteen thousand apiece uh-huh. is only two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. That is not a lot of money. You're not the first person to say that, and there were always skeptics, and there were people huh. like, you know, this is not. There's no way that this could be a profitable venture for this guy, much less actually doing it. Like could right, this money right. actually pay to start a pinball machine company from scratch? Um, and we, you know, there were, you know, who we didn't know, maybe a guy has some money, you know, maybe he's a financial genius in between about 2011 or so when he starts taking money for this thing and 2014, when, when his big reveal of his progress came at pinball expo, um, he, uh, he somehow finds the time to make this kiss pinball machine mock-up. Um, he really wanted to make a KISS pinball machine. Very short side. I don't know if there's any KISS aficionados here, but the artwork was scab KISS. It was Paul and Gene and the two scabs they hired uh, to replace (laughs) Peter Chris and Ace Freely. And any hardcore (laughs) KISS fan is going to want not the scab KISS. Yeah, of course not. Right. So that always, that decision just, I I always wondered if you're going to make a non-licensed foam fake kiss game and get some guy to do the art and then not pay him. Why would you do the scats? So uh, anyway, beyond that, you know, the, this, this then, as I recall, it continues for a while. Well, there it isn't... wasn't just the kiss game. He also announces, you know what? 
it's not really feasible to make 15 of these jams. Now I'm going to make, <laughs> now I'm going to make a hundred. So send me oh, more okay. money. Right. And okay. So more people sending money. There were no, I believe there were no rabbits like fill and gradient fill rabbits at this point. Yeah. It's just at this point, he's just saying, send me money and I'll send you a little coupon with a super whimsical, like, you know, like at Coney Island at the freak show, there's like that, that fist or the, the, the hand oh, pointing yeah, to yeah, the egress. Yeah. It was all whimsical, cutesy bullshit like that. And it was like a whimsical hand from the 1800s from P.T. Barnum pointing to $2,000. Please remit your balance. Um, so he was sending <laughs> this, me two This is going to turn into a Kickstarter at some point, doesn't it? I wish it had, you know. <laughs> would have had a more spectacular. So that's not good enough either. And now, you know what? There's another concept. Oh, God. Uh, he's going to make a zombie game. Because zombies right. were, were huge in the early 2000s. Uh-huh. Um, in the early 2010s, zombies were huge and Walking Dead's the number one show. We're going to do, he doesn't like zombies. He likes fucking magic. Right. Uh, so he gets, you know, and you guys being gamers know who Ben Heck is. Do you guys know who Ben Heck is? I know who Ben Heck is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know ben. I didn't know who he was, but apparently he's a big shot in like the home yeah. room. He made his yeah, own yeah, pinball okay. machine too. He made the Bill Paxton pinball machine. Yeah. Ben, uh, ben Heck <laughs> is a, um, he, he's a very, very, like he's incredibly talented when it comes to electronics. Um, he is sort of the guy who you call if you come across a very unusual or rare piece of video game technology and you need okay. somebody to take it apart and put it back together. Um, well, like finding out what's going on with it electronically. So like um, when one of the very, very rare Sony PlayStation prototypes came about, like the Sony PlayStation that was hooked oh, up yeah. to the Nintendo. Remember like the Nintendo PlayStation? Uh-huh. Um, that was uh, Ben Heck got his hands on that. And okay. um Actually, what do you think about that? You impressed now? That's yeah. I mean, that's yeah, pretty amazing. I'm tough. also just I'm staring yeah. at Bill Paxton pinball right now. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, you know, Ben made this like in his basement, and it's yeah. kind of cool. It's you know, it's Ben. It's like you know. So somehow, I don't even know how this happened. Somehow he gets hooked up with J-Pop. J-Pop finds him on YouTube. Okay. He's like, this right. is a guy who will fall under my spell and do a bunch of free work for me. So he flies him out to Chicago where Ben probably flew himself out there and probably paid for everything. And all of a sudden <laughs> we got a new announcement. Ben Heck's uh, zombie. That's right. Uh, adventure land. Is and I, I remember that too, because oh, I was following his channel on YouTube at the time and it was a big, okay. big, big announcement, right? Cause Ben Heck's right. YouTube channel was a big deal for a while. I don't think he does that channel anymore, but yeah. My two questions at this point were, why is this guy working on another game that doesn't exist when he's got all these people's money for this magic girl? And two, who is Ben Heck? Uh, those are my yeah. two big questions. <laughs> and why is he on a pinball machine? Um, so, no slight so, to Ben. I just didn't know who he was. Uh, right. So before even shipping Magic Girl, we now have like three tables that are being made. The kiss thing, I guess he just did as a lark because oh, okay. a, a month later, Stern announces that, no, we have the kiss license and we're going to make kiss pinball machine. <laughs> so God knows how much, I guess his idea was wow them with the, maybe that's why he went, honestly, that might be why he went with the scabs. He's like, yeah. wow, kiss, build this phone core light up mm. box. Wow, kiss. With maybe the at the very last minute he'll win the license over Gary kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. He wasted God knows how much time on this kiss. It had great art. Again, it was, you know, he got yeah. Zarmita to, to whip this up for free for him. Uh, so you got these three. And then at some point, uh, he announces, oh, I'm also making Alice in Wonderland. 
So send me money right. for that. <laughs> um, and here's the kicker. People are still sending in money. They're just sending money. When, and at this point, the There's going to be so many pinball machines. You, yeah. you, won't, even, you won't even know how many pinball machines we're working yeah, on. It should be huge, these pinballs. Yeah. You're going to be making so many pinball machines. And, and at this point, you people are pretty disgruntled with Stern, too. Like, right. you can spend $7,000 and get a Wizard of Oz that's going to break in a week. Uh, which oh, is yeah. what people did. Or you can spend $4,000 and get a Rolling Stones game, which everybody hates. And again, this is what it comes back to is it's mostly about theme for people. Right, right. You know? yeah. And what you might start noticing with all this, this magic bullshit is these are not themes that anybody really is going to want outside of right. some hardcore, like I know who J-pop is. The, 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 um, it's the paradigm has shifted. People yeah. don't want these kind of quirky, unlicensed games that uh, Williams and Valley was was making having such success with back in the old days, you know, right. Cyclone, Pinbot, mm-hmm. High Speed, Diner. You know, these are kind of fishtails. These are kind of neat things that were big and successful. But in many cases, it, too, like you, it is a. I remember with Valley Williams, many of those games would sort of be taking something that was sort of in the pop culture. Um, uh, right, whatever right. you want to call it, and and in making an unlicensed theme, but something that is still sort of connected right, to what like, a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, like medieval madness. Yeah, or yeah, medieval right. madness just, is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's recognizable. And yeah. uh, Attack from and Mars is Mars Attacks, right? Like, well, it's it's a funny thing. It came out at the same time as the movie, but it's really not. It's they're both just kind of homages right. to this fifties science fi- sci fi thing. But again, this was it. Maybe it's twenty five years ago, but it might as well have been a hundred years ago because right, people today right. do not want unlicensed games. They say no. they do, and then they don't buy them. And, uh, and they don't, and they don't earn on route either. Like right. Walking Dead is a kick ass route game. It's a f- okay game it's to play, game. but it does it does insanely well on route, is my understanding. But dialed game, dialed in is a great game, and they didn't sell any of them for home right. users, and it doesn't make money on location. Right, why because, would it? it's, well, some, it's some, like it's like Sim City with cell phone. It, like that, it's it's a bizarre theme. It doesn't really cohere. The game's great, right. but and th- that's not what people want. But right. J-pop knew what they wanted, and they wanted Alice in Wonderland. They wanted uh, Ben Hex retro atomic <laughs> zombie adventure land. That's right. That's it right. Bill Paxton like, zombies. Yeah, it was basically <laughs> a theme park, and then you've got Ben Heck running around in it. And there's zombies. So you know, everybody point, wants that. You know, people are still sending this guy money, but the natives are starting to get a little, little yeah. restless. You know, I paid you for a magic girl four years ago. And right. now you're working on Alice in Wonderland. And, you know, there were definitely people, the word Ponzi started to get back, but the pushback was like, you're a fucking idiot. You're a naysayer. You, you can't see the magic. Look at what they did with Big Bang Bar. Right. Uh, you're a hater. Like people were getting shouted down pretty regularly for um, for naysaying on this stuff. You know, J-pop knows more about pinball than you'll ever wipe out of your ass. It's like <laughs> this is you know, and I wasn't really involved in any of this. I was just kind of watching it from from afar, thinking. Yeah. But the general thing, I mean, I'm glad I didn't send this guy any money. Is what I was thinking by this point. Yeah, right. Um, so I think it was about 2014. He shows up to Expo, which is this big pinball show. Um, it's even during the lean years, it remained the largest show, I think. Um, right. and it's still okay. around. And that's in Chicago. It's in Chicago, the, the, the bedrock of the industry. Okay. And there's also like, you know, you can go and you can take a tour of the Stern factory. Like there's all these things that happen in conjunction okay. with Expo. It's really and for people would show up with their new games. You know, they'd show up with the, like the one year, like 1999, the one game to show up was the one game available, which I think was Striker Extreme. 
Uh, right. So it's like as long yeah, as you that, like that would have been right stream. after uh, uh, Pinball 2000 failed. <laughs> oh, you know, total again a total trivia, but I believe yeah. the Black Monday was the Monday after Expo when it was announced that that Williams was going out of business. Oh wow! And nobody knew Williams had been at Expo. Like the old the guy that was actually been there, and the next day they pulled the plug on. Uh, so that was probably the biggest disappointment in Expo history up until 2014, when the curtain is drawn back and J-Pop reveals four empty cabinets. Um, <laughs> with, uh, Magic like, seriously? Yes, you can. I'm sure this is all out there if you want to find pictures of it. Uh, he does a seminar where he tells you how awesome this game is going to be and he shows you these. And these are cabinets with uh, the artwork and um the flipper buttons i think there was no play field um <laughs> there was no display and there was a, a translate so you could get an idea of, of what the pinball oh, magic cabinet yeah. would look like and I, i've asked people who who were much more steeped in this whole story than i am and that apparently was the moment where the alarms that you were ringing sure. as we started this thing all went off uh, and people really started to everybody was like okay so if he's this far along in magic girl I wonder how far along he is on my Alice in Wonderland, which we haven't even seen like right. art, color artwork for. Oh my um, God. At least, oh, and also at this time, it's no longer Ben Heck's retro atomic zombie adventure, cyclone, pinball, amusement theme land. Uh, ben Heck has divorced himself from the project. Um, he's, I guess, at this point, figured out that this was a bad thing for him to be putting his, his name on. And now there were aliens involved somehow. And it was now called Retro Atomic zombie adventure land i think that's what he sold yep. so yep. people weren't even getting what they paid for the second group of people who'd been scammed on this um weren't even getting the game that they signed up for and they're all rationalized look you know what kind of like aliens better than zombies like there's a lot of this stuff. <laughs> like, you know, ben, ben heck's cool but i don't really need him on my pinball machine right? as long you know, as you got that pinball magic right well yeah it's still kind of like you know oh we God. see maybe some maybe some art some prototype play fields like but i mean at this point anybody could pretty much see what was going on and it wasn't pretty. yeah um, um so i i uh am i feel like this would be a really good time to take a quick break we will return momentarily yeah. to find out how of course we as not to give it away but of course this game shipped to rapturous applause and uh you know uh <laughs> everything had a happy ending forever and uh right levy it was an unqualified success. I'll be happy to tell you about it. All right, cool. Hey, listeners, do you hate commercials? Getting back into it, uh, at this point, John Papaduke has taken the pinball world by storm with his incredible creation, Magic Girl, and also three other games, which all are naturally going to ship by their expected date at their expected price, right, Levy? No, unfortunately, this is, this is where the story takes a nasty turn. What? <laughs> um, uh, this is where things start to get a little sad. It, it, people uh -huh. are now at this point starting to panic. They're talking right. class action lawsuit. Oh, um, there's a handful of I told you so's who are obviously pretty gleeful about the whole thing. Right. Um, and this is all unfolding on Pinside, the world's bitchiest forum. Yes, uh, it's it's not pretty. But again, the, the, you know, you're, you're still seeing people getting thrown out of threads and banned for being critical about the whole thing. Sure. sure. Uh, the denial was intense and uh, it was it was loud. Uh, but as the next year or so, it's really not at this point. It doesn't take a long time for this whole thing to unravel. It finally ends with a email from John. Somebody posted it and it, it was pretty infuriating to read. It was like, 
hey, it turns out pinball machines are really hard to make. Uh, <laughs> at, at this given time, I'm not going to be able to fulfill. It was a very long sentence that boiled down with a lot of word salad uh, and even some whimsy and magic, um, you know, to, to give you your money's worth. Uh, it was a very long paragraph, which basically said, this project is kits up. Uh, you're not getting your games and right. you're not getting your money. And so at this point, everybody who backed it is pretty much shit out of luck, right? I mean, and I'd love to try to wrap this up for you in the future. There was some kind of like optimism right. at the end. Uh, so enter a, I don't even know his real name. Maybe it's Bill Brandis. Uh, I, I apologize, Bill or whatever your name is, but he's, he's another, uh, pinball enthusiast millionaire and he's on pin side and he, he announces he's going to swoop in to save this. This is one right. of many times that the magic girl, Raza, uh, Alice in Wonderland buyers had the, um, football, uh, peanut style taken away right. from them right when they were going into the field goal. <laughs> and Bill announces, you know what? I think we can do this. Um, all you got to do is sign this thing, which is, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're not going to sue us. You're not going to sue John. Uh, we're going to fix this. I'm a rich guy. You can trust rich guys. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, <you're> obviously. Right. <laughs> that goes without saying. Um, and I don't want to draw, I don't want to stretch this, this uh, too much, but it, it seems to me that, you know, this was a particular time in America where people were really impressed by rich guys, yeah. people who thought were rich guys, and they just couldn't do anything wrong. And you know what? If you want everything to go your way, if you want to make pinball great again, you're just going to follow the rich guys. Because, right. you know what? Sure, this doesn't look yeah. right, but these guys are rich. They know what they're doing. You're not rich. You don't know what you're doing. Send these guys money. They know what to do with it because they're rich. Um, right. And this is really around like, this is what, what year is this now? Where, where are we in time? Right around the time Donald Trump ran for president. Right. right. Um, yeah. And, and, and so like, yeah, there's this like collective psychosis that's gripping the nation right now. Right. Where, uh, everybody has exhausted, uh, their desire for hope and change. Right. And, uh, at this point they are instead seeking a, an ironclad return on their investment. And, and more importantly, uh, a rich savior to deliver the magic. Right. Right, uh, now, I don't right. want to put Bill in this um, in this category. He was just an enthusiastic with some money who thought he could save sure. this thing. And he was one of, yeah. I think he was, he was one of the, the Raza buyers. He probably had okay. money. Some of these guys had bought all three of these games. Like, holy wow. shit. I don't just, I'm not just getting Magic Girl. I'm getting Retro Zombie, Ben right. Heck. Uh, well, and, at this Parkland. point, at this point, you're what, like probably 40, 30, 40 K in the hole? I would once like you've... to think nobody was that deep. I don't know how many people, I don't know if people were paid. I've heard rumors of people that were 20K deep into this game, sure. um, but I, I really don't know. Uh, what I do know is J-Pop had been paying himself for years, a very exorbitant salary. He right. owned a new Range Rover. Uh, <laughs> they seem to be okay in J-Pop land. The words like, wow, Ponzi's team, Madoff, this stuff was starting to get mentioned right. at this point. Um, there were still okay. people like, no, this guy's a genius. He just needs to be managed. And that's where Bill came in because he's a rich guy. He knows how to sure. manage people. Bill sent an advanced team I guess to Chicago to pick up the working uh, magic girl prototype. You know, at this point, the game had a play field. It had a display. It had boards. It looked like a pinball machine. And at this point, they, you know, they had a plan in place. It's like, here's how we're going to get your games. You're going to have to send us more money. Um, and this wasn't a scam. This was just like, we need more money to, to pull this thing over the, uh, right. the, the finish line. In return, you're going to get credit for the next six games. I, right. Honestly, I don't know what Bill was thinking. I guess he just was kind of under the spell, and he thought, you know. And again, he was sold a bill of goods from J-Pop. The game's yeah. close to being finished. 
you know, that's I, so that it, it's so interesting too the way that like people continued to fall under, as you put it, very very aptly. Like this spell, time and time again, you have people who I think probably would otherwise, for the most part, I mean, setting aside the people in the pinball community who are suckers, and there are a lot of suckers in the community, and I think we might talk about that a little bit later. By and large, though, you have people who are having promises that are being made to them in what seems like good faith. They are going along with it. And the ride that they're being taken on just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Well, this happens in every Ponzi scheme, doesn't it? You know, right. Yeah. Um, right. You have more promises and more opportunities to spend money. Uh, and huh. at this point, you know, I don't think they took any money because a week later, Bill sends another letter. He's like, look, we got into this prototype. This game is nowhere ready to be finished. Mm. You're all fucked. And so am I. And I'm not involved in this anymore. He had already spent, I God knows, I don't know, a million dollars of his own money to get to this point. Um, He had bought the IP. He basically bought out J-Pop. And, you know, again, I'm sorry if I'm not getting all these details 100%, but I believe he was now the legal owner of all these fantastical games that he'd been promising people. But the problem is, is there's no games. Uh, right. The one, the one. Well, right. You you own the IP, but you also own the promise, right? And, yes. and that's the, the promise right. has You're been made hook. for a very right. long time. You own all the baggage. Um, what he didn't do was take the additional money they needed because he just right. him and his team got into this this prototype and were like, this is this is a non-starter. And he pulled wow. the plug on it pretty quick. And you know, he sent out a cold water email to everybody. You know, I did my best. I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars of money, and this is not going to happen. And I got hoodwinked by J-Pop, who told right. me that this could happen if I just, you know, bought this from him. And meanwhile, J-Pop's got money to cover his debts to buy another uh, Range Rover. Um, oh, where did that money come from? <laughs> it, came, it came from Bill, who gave him money to, to finish this project. Because Bill was an, uh, uh, a rich enthusiast who wanted this right. to happen. Yeah. Um, kind so, of in the, in, in, in the vein very much of Gene Cunningham, who we talked about earlier. Correct. And people are still yeah. thinking, hey, if this one guy in Illinois could do it, you know, I'm sure in this modern time of, of, of uh, 3D printing entire pinball machines, this can right. be done. Uh, unfortunately, Bill's, um, Bill's take on it was this can't be done. And it's really over this time. I'm sorry, you guys. Uh, uh, but it's not going to happen. So, right. There, there it ends. You know, the people start talking lawsuits. I believe there were lawsuits. There was some kind of class action getting going. We've got a lot of these people had money and a lot of these people had lawyers and a lot of these people knew how the game is played and that when you're pissed off about something, you sue. Um, I don't know what they were planning on getting out of them. There were some people who just wanted to see him go to jail at this point. Right. Um, yeah. But it wasn't clear. You know, it's, it can be tough to, to, to get people sent to jail for stuff like this. And I think we're, what we're looking at was pretty small potatoes. I mean, this was not a Brady right. Madoff scam. Like, you know, how much money did he steal? A million dollars? Well, and know. also like d- d- at this point, you know, w- yeah, it is essentially Ponzi, right? You're borrowing, you're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. But right. like it, it, at this point, it still feels like, you know, the scam of somebody who doesn't understand how to manage money or make promises effectively, as opposed to like a scam with actual criminal intent where you're setting out to like mm-hmm. defraud people intentionally. At this point, it seems to just be incompetence. It does, but you have a lot more people who are thinking this guy is just a criminal. Like, right. or maybe it got away right. from him, and he should. And he realized this a while ago. And I don't know what people thought, but people were pissed, and it, it, the story was over again. Um, somebody made this website, you know. So if you Google John Papaduke, this is what you would see. Right. Uh, so imagine everybody's surprised when. And my timeline at this point gets a little fuzzy because it's been quite a quite a five or six years we've been through. <laughs> yeah, it's been a journey. At this point. Uh, out of nowhere, suddenly a new player arrives on the scene. 
Um, it's American Pinball, and they're outside of Chicago, and this is a new pinball company, and they're teaming up with J-Pop. And not only are they going to finish these Magic Girls uh, for the you know hundreds of people who bought them, they're going to build a new game called Houdini, which is right up. It's down. magic. It's, it's magic. magic. It's literally <laughs> magic. And, you know, he shows up at this Vegas um, hotel room with a beautiful Houdini pinball machine. Right. And the press is that we're going to yeah. wear these rich guys. We're, we're, we're starting a new pinball company. I was immediately distrustful of these guys. And I, I will admit that I was wrong. I was like, these are just some rich assholes who are trying to jump on this gravy yeah. train. Because they're all during this time, pinball prices continue to skyrocket. The right. bubble has not burst despite the dozens of weekly predictions that it's, it's going to burst any minute now. <laughs> right. Um, the pinball renaissance has continued unabated for almost 20 years. Um, wow. There's more and more people spending more and more money. By this point, um, the average price of a Stern pinball machine is about $5,000 for pro, about $7,000 for premium. People are spending $9,000 on limited editions. Jersey Jack, Jersey Jack has a. And by the way, worth noting, like that splitting out of SKUs between Pro Premium LE is not something that they did before. This is a concession that they made to the home collector market. Yeah. Right. When Nobody's new, buying an LE to put it on route for sure. And uh, this was all came about when their new investors bailed Stern out at the turn of the uh, the tens. Um, they had new investors come in with new ideas. Mm. One of these ideas is you're leaving money on the table. Look what Jersey Jack is doing. Sure. And so pinball prices are rising, demand is rising, and membership in the hobby is rising. And here comes American Pinball. They're going to, to put out the Magic Girl games, and they're going to also bring in this awesome new J-pop game, Houdini, um, which looks like it's ready to go. Now, you're not allowed to touch it. <laughs> there is a fence around it, so you can only yeah. get about five feet away. Of course. Uh, but <laughs> it's just another fucking flashing box of lights that J-Pop made uh, when right. it should have been finishing Magic Girl. Uh, they seem to realize that something pretty quick was up with this guy. Right. And mm. that maybe the trend of that they just displayed a box of balsa wood that was supposed to be a pinball machine. And there, you know, maybe that this was kind of resembling some of the stuff that, that the community was so pissed off at this guy about. And they announced pretty quickly that um, that they're cutting their ties with them, but not before mm. he cobbles together 15 or 20 working, quote, Magic Girl pinball machines for the original Gray Rabbit 20. <laughs> like, after all this time in the sparkling new um, uh, American pinball facility, after all this time, we're talking almost 10 years at this point, um, after all this time, maybe six, seven years, after all this time, the magic, the original Magic Girl 18 that, that clicked on that website, that filled yeah, in their rabbit, they're getting their pinball machines. Let's and this go. Actually Let's happened. go. Now you're not gonna you're gonna have to go pick it up or get someone to do it. Um, but you're getting your fucking pinball machine. So these Magic Girl games start to filter out into the world. I think AP right. was still signed on with him at this point, but obviously mm -hmm. probably having some second thoughts. Uh, <laughs> and people got their Magic Girls. They didn't work. You couldn't play a oh, ball no. on Magic Girl. There were shops. <laughs> there were shops that went to nowhere. There were magnet. There were the magnets were a, yeah. They were a nightmare, right? The magnets just would just the game literally didn't work. You could not right. play a game of it. There were ramps. Right. There were ramps that there was an upper play field that the ball couldn't get to unless you put the ball on, took the glass off, and, put it, put it and this shows you how fucking moronic the pinball right. uh, hobby can be. There were people yeah. buying these. 
for $20,000. There were rumors that a couple of them went for 30 or $40,000. And the reasoning was at this point, hey, we'll just finish them up. We'll hire sure. the original software guy who never got paid. How and hard can it be? <laughs> How hard can OP it be? OP will finally deliver. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you, I don't know what happened with these magic girls. I know that people were streaming them and it was just like such a joke. That's awesome. Like, you could see there was a guy in Jersey who bought one and they're like, we're gonna stream it. We're gonna take it out of the boxes. And you could literally see this guy's face as yeah. they tried to play a game of magic. Yeah, it's, a, it's a it's a Skinner box, right? Like it's a beautiful yeah. it's 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 this it's this thing that is 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 special and flashing beautiful and and inside it's it's Bobcats. Like it now, just doesn't now it doesn't that work. Being said, the original Gray <laughs> Rabbit 18 who paid their money and went through this entire drama, they got something for their money and most sure. of them I don't know if anybody kept theirs, but a number of them flipped these for a profit as ridiculous right. as it sounds. There were there was a market for these. Well, because it make- is it is a it is a collector item in a collector hobby yeah. that increasingly is becoming more and more uncoupled from the fundamentals. Right? It is a it is a speculative market. This game did not have a shooter lane groove. Do you know what that is? Brian, Brian, Brian. So, uh, so please that's, that's right where the ball starts. Right where the when ball, the ball comes out of the yeah. thing, and then you got a plunger to plunge the ball. Out. Yeah. There's a little groove in it, so the ball will go straight up the shooter lane. It's it's in every pinball machine ever built over the last literally every years. Si- yeah every single um, one. Yeah. But not this one. This had a flat shooter lane, so you plunge it, and the ball would just rattle around. Like like have you ever, have you ever seen those kids' birthday parties where they where they kind of where they kind of put the uh, the foam in the gutter. So these kids can't throw gutter oh, yeah. balls. Yeah, yeah. That's like kind of right. what this shooter lane was like. So yeah, <laughs> that awesome. was a little, um, that was kind of a sign of what you were getting there with the pinball machine. It didn't work. It really hadn't come too far, but he cobbled these things together and put them out. Uh, right. Shortly after this, uh, shortly after this happens, American Pinball is like, you know what? If this isn't working out. We're going to go our separate ways. Right. We're going to make Houdini anyway. We're and they ended up yeah. shipping it and it was a success. It was a success. You know, they, I don't think it's a very good game, but they redesigned it. They got Balser, the guy who did Wizard of Oz and Simpsons. Oh, okay. uh, they brought him in. They brought an actual professional who knew how to make a pinball machine. And, <laughs> and he, they, they redid the artwork, they redid the layout and they actually put this game out and it, it is a pinball machine you can buy to this day. And so, so this is out- like, this is like totally different than what their original. Except for the concept and the yeah. title. Yeah. Kind of a steampunk uh, Houdini. They kept the concept. They made their okay. own thing. And J-pop was now out in the wilderness again. And never, <laughs> never to be heard from again. Yeah, exactly. I'm assuming at this point, given his track record, uh, both in the context of Magic Girl specifically and, um, you know, with his reputation more broadly in the industry, I'm sure that nobody ever gave him money again. Right. Yeah, the state was over. He was, you know, this it wasn't going to play out before our eyes again. And, uh, you know, American pinball, you know, they proved that one of the best things you can do in pinball to manufacture pinball machines is get rid of J-pop. And then, <laughs> you know, I think they're on there. They've made three games now. So they are, they appear to be a viable pinball manufacturer. So from here then, uh, let's talk about a man named this is a new guy this is a new character now you new know? guy just dropped put, new guy just dropped put 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 <laughs> listeners put john papaduke in the back of your head he he will be back uh much like james bond john papaduke will return but uh until then <laughs> uh let's introduce a brand new guy uh his name is robert mueller 
Robert Mueller. Now, this it was so funny. he was, was investigating Donald Trump and he, Russia. Yeah, that, it was funny. It was right after that whole thing. But, <laughs> but that's sorry. We're talking. I don't really remember. I think we're talking 2016, 2017. Uh, okay. This guy Mueller shows up, and he doesn't just show up. He 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 goes on all the uh, he does all the interviews, all the podcasts. You don't know who I am, but I'm starting a new company. It's called Deep Root Pinball. I'm bringing in J-Pop. We're going to fix everything. We're going to make the Magic Girl games. And then we're going to make 10 other oh. games. And not only are we going to make games, they're going to be better than any games you've ever seen in your life. The most, uh, they're going to be the best games. They're going to be the best You won't believe these games. <laughs> not only are these games going to be good, and not only are we going to make 15 of them in one year, more than anybody has ever made in a year. <laughs> we're going to, you know, I'm a pinball guy just like you guys. And I'm sick of the shit that Stern is serving us on a steaming platter. They That's right. suck. The games are That's garbage. Right. Everybody who works there only cares about money. I'm like you, except I'm rich. And I'm going to make the world's greatest pinball she's ever seen. And it's all going to start with J-Pop. I know there's a history with this guy. You know, he, he acknowledged it. I know there's a history with this guy, but he just needs to be managed by a brilliant millionaire like myself, a guy who's rich. So you can trust me, a guy who knows how to make money. Um, I alone can fix this. That was his pitch. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that before. <laughs> But, uh, and you know what? There's a lot of skeptics now. Like, really, we're giving J-pop yeah. another chance. And meanwhile, all the people who lost money on this are like, holy shit. It's, I cannot believe it. You know, after the Bill Brandis thing, you know, after the um, after that last attempt, because you know, he was rich, too. And rich, you know, rich people are smart. They know what they're doing. And he told us, look, I'm sorry, this is not going to happen. I'm not right. sinking any more of my money. And that's why I'm rich, because I don't throw millions of dollars into yeah. black holes like this. Uh, incidentally, that was one of the titles they were going to make. A new black hole version was one of the promised. Uh, uh, Wait, like like black black hole the 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 old uh, the old. Yeah, we're going to make retro. a new version of it. That was it's okay. the title was to be announced, but it's going to be kind of like black. By hole. the way, by the way, going back to a previous theme, black hole. One of the features of that game, a play field under the play field. A lower play field <laughs> innovation. That's what people want. Forty years later, is lower play field innovation. So. Uh, and I'm not going to take any pre-order money. I know you guys have been down this road before. I know you don't want somebody uh, soliciting money before a game's ready to ship. Never going to happen at Deep Root Pinball. Um, I'm a successful funds manager. I'm rich. And if you don't believe uh, how successful I am in my funds, take a look at this fund that I manage. <laughs> yes, take a look at the untold wealth I'm delivering for my investors. And I'm going to take this magic touch uh, that made me rich you know, a rich guy in his in his late 30s, early 40s. Uh, I have the golden touch and I'm bringing it to pinball. I'm one of you and I'm an enthusiast and I'm not going to take any pre-order money. Um, okay. I'm not going to uh, announce this game before it's ready to ship. All the mistakes of the past, they're not going to happen again. He insulted the entire industry, um, said they're all morons. None of them right. know what they're doing. All you guys on Pinside are morons who say I can't do this. Everybody's stupid but me. And if you believe in me, I will make your dreams come true. I, I know you want to see innovation and I'm going to deliver it. And I'm going to do it with J-pop. I'm going to bring every other out of work wash up off the street. Uh, I'm going to bring up Barry Orsler, who hasn't made a game since I think the Clinton administration. And then there's Dennis Morgan, <laughs> uh, who seems to work for every single pinball machine company at the same time. 
Um, yeah. he, made, he made a lot of great games in the old days. And then he makes, he's working for Stern. Which, he's, by the way, Nordman, uh, you might know, probably if you know him from anything, it's probably Dr. Dude, right? That'd probably be the game no, he's best no, known no. for. Scared Stiff. Uh, all the Elvira games are his. Okay, I know Elvira. I know at least one of the Elvira games. All the Elvira games, Indy 500. He's made a lot right. of good games. And um, immediately people are like, well, you know, these guys wouldn't get involved in uh, in Deep Root unless it was a legit enterprise. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, like Barry Orsler had a, you know, he doesn't have any money. And he, <laughs> yeah, right. He will, he is working there because he's getting a check. I remember like hearing the name Deep Root for the first time and being like, I wouldn't trust a company called Deep Root. And the logo, the logo is like a butthole with like, it seriously looks like a butthole. It, looks, it does yeah. look like a butthole. Um, the name makes no fucking sense. The Australians chime in and are like, oh, you know, down here, Deep Rooting means getting fucked. Like literally. <laughs> <laughs> apparently what Deep Root means in Australia is to get like really fucked. But, but be, yeah, people, people are still extraordinarily credulous despite, yeah. uh, at this point, two decades Two solid decades of experience uh, that should, should that should make them know better. They're still buying into the dream and they're buying into the magic and they're ready to make pinball but, great but again. But they right? got, the they got different. magic girl. They got magical girl. It happened. No, only 18 people got magical girl and they didn't work. And the other 200 people who sent J-pop money were holding the bag. Um, so it wasn't, you know, the, J the Magic Girl story did not really end well, <laughs> except for the 10 people who managed to cash out. Those guys are smart. If, if that thing had showed yeah. up in my house, I would have sold that immediately. I'm like, if I give you yeah. $5,000, $10,000 on this piece right. of shit, sign me up. <laughs> um, you know, there's maybe before they find out there's no shooter lane groove. But can, can, I, I guess what I'm wondering is like, because, you know, you were obviously like around in the community at that time when everybody was going like head over heels for this shit. And this point I'm really paying attention to. Because right. it's like so I guess what I'm wondering is like you were seeing this happen. You were like, no, obviously this is bullshit. Like, I'm not going to buy into this <laughs> shit for the fourth time. But for some reason, everybody else is. Well, that's and, not true. There were a lot okay, of naysayers. Not everybody. There not were, everybody. There were a lot of naysayers. But the, 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 but the, the people who were blown away by this stuff. For the most part, they were all noobs sure. who, who were just dazzled by this whole thing. And right. they're like, they really wanted their fucking innovative pinball machines. They're still right. tired. Gary Stern, that cheap Jew, is still forcing these <laughs> shitty games down my throat. Right. And he, he won't give us the innovation. Every time they keep raising prices. Meanwhile, you know, a Stern game is still by far the cheapest commercial, full feature, full size pinball machine you can buy for your home. You can still well, get it. Right a stern pro game and they're all good solid game you can get for fifty five hundred dollars and and that's mm -hmm. because obviously like they've been around so they have supply chains and they have economies of scale and they have these things that are necessary in order to produce something in volume at mm -hmm. a reasonable mm -hmm. cost right and if you want an american pinball game that's thousand dollars if you want a spooky game that's gonna be seven or eight thousand dollars right if you want a jjp game they're all they're all but it always comes back to how much people hate gary stern and how he's not giving them the innovation they want. And why does he hate us so much? If people take this stuff so personally, <laughs> why aren't there six upper play fields on this game? And hey, you know what? <laughs> Spooky just put out Halloween and it's got three fucking upper play fields. It looks, Perfect. Uh, I'm not here to trash Spooky. You send Spooky money, they will send you a pinball machine. Right, right. Right. Um, they're, they're a giving, real company that has a product. <laughs> they are, and they started small. You know, Ben Heck was involved with them in the beginning. So at this point, Deep Roots on the scene, we're pretty much evenly split at this point between the people who've been around for a while who are like, no, this is like 
not just a scam. This is like a big time scam. And then on the other hand, you have the noobs who still believe in the pinball magic and the dream. Um, what at this point then is starting to happen in terms of like the nature of the accusations maybe or the claims that are being made about the validity of this business because at this point it seems to me at least looking back that the tenor of the accusations is now really shifting from these guys are idiots and they are incompetent and they're never going to be able to ship to no there's actually like something fucking going on here that took a long time um because again anytime somebody brought up you know how is this guy going to do this and how is he going to do all those fantastical claims he's making about making more pinball machines than everybody's ever made in a year, about, and this guy's the king of corporate doublespeak bullshit. Mm-hmm. He's talking about things like octo manufacturing. That's gonna help us crank out these games. Dynamic cross staffing, lean, <laughs> agile, uh, lean, agile manufacturing. <laughs> I fucking love being lean and agile, dude. It's my favorite. <laughs> it helps you, it helps you keep things moving. And uh, this was like, you know, I was like, this guy is so full of shit. This was my right. thoughts. The, the, the right. language this guy used. And it was all very Trumpian, you know, the, right. the bragging and the boasting. And his famous quote, which he will never live down, uh, it's going to be on his tombstone. Um, and if it's not, somebody will be kind enough to spray paint it on his tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> his famous quote was, pinball is easy. And I'm going to show you all that pinball is easy. Oh, and my God. That... Uh, you know, you're, you've been led to believe it's not by these guys who don't know what they're doing, by Gary Stern, who just wants to fuck you out of all your money without giving you magic. Pinball is easy, and I'm going to prove it. And every time people were like, you know, how is this going to work out? You know, he's already, at this point now, it's been going on a couple of years. He's been, right. he hired all these people. He's paying all these salaries. He has a huge animation studio. He's employing 200 people. He's oh, uh, he's 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 now at this point um, opened up an entire brand new office, which he owns and is also renting to himself, uh, as I recall. Right. That's going to be in Texas. Also, he has in a Texas. production facility he's, in San Antonio. He yes. has like this office space in San Antonio. Yes. That's going to be the big factory, which he's never shown anybody any pictures of. We've seen a right. lot of pictures of giant empty rooms. Right. And even at this point. Wait, so are, then are so for these 200 people, if they're not working in the manufacturing wing, is that all animators? Yeah, I, I have a friend who talked to this guy, um, uh, a guy with some money who was a potential investor, but he, I think he really just wanted to hear about it. Um, yeah. And he said that the, the, the basic idea was that this guy thought uh, he was going to start an animation studio like Pixar, basically. So it's not just pinball. It's, <laughs> just, it's, right. just, use, deep, just use the pinball thing as a launching point. You know? Basically, <laughs> Deep Root is going to infest every part of your life. You're going to right. enjoy a Deep Root movie with the kids. Then you're gonna you're gonna play a deeper pinball machine with your friends at the bar, and, and then, of course, don't forget you're going to invest in a deep root uh, IRA that's yeah. going to be guaranteed to pay you six point five percent per year. Deep and, you're uh, gonna drive your deep root uh, SUV to your deep root warehouse. <laughs> deep root funds is going to ensure the uh, financial security of your family. Right, and, and that is real, by the way. The deep root funds thing is very, very real, and it's important to point that up. Yes. That at this point, he was making uh, material claims. Uh, he's not doing the thing of you know past performance is not indicative of future mm. outcomes. He is promising people that he will be able to pay them on their investment at least six point five percent a year, no questions asked, no matter what. And uh, you know this goes on a while, and he's he's hiring he's he's hired a ton of people. He has a huge staff. By the way, Brian, can you see where this is going yet? <laughs> uh, fame and fortune. 
riches, comfortable living, a nice house with four children and a four. Exactly. You know, and not only this, you know, he's apparently bought, he's starting deep root sports. I guess he's going to be a sports agent. He has, he has like courtside seats for the Spurs. Deep root is everywhere. And I love how these like business guys are like, they, they do develop some incredible skill at something that has made them a lot of money. And then they just go, hmm, I bet I can do everything. <laughs> yeah. And and people are, are, are they're, you know, they're still, they're impressed. And, and, and the naysayers are like, you know, I, where's this money coming from? At one point he did an interview where he announced he has a burn rate of 750K a month. Um, that he's he's working so hard to, to on these games that he's burning through this kind of money. Who knows if that was even true? It could have been bullshit. Yeah. I mean, everything this guy said was bullshit, but he was spending a lot of money. That's clear. And also people- worth noting as well at this point, you know, he has hired um, a, a guy named Steve Bowden, who is uh, a, 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 mem- a longtime member of the New York City pinball community to okay. uh, write rule sets for these games. Really deep. The deepest rule sets you've ever seen. He's a, he's a top 25 accomplished uh, tournament player. And he okay. also has a very popular pinball machine, um, I guess, website or Facebook page yeah, called yeah, Fun yeah, With yeah. Bonus. And he was okay. hired. This is right on the heels of, of Bowen Karens, another top-ranked pinball player, being hired by Spooky to help out with their rules. It seemed to have really modeled after that. We're going to hire a guy who doesn't code. Um, okay. But he relocated to San Antonio uh, from Jersey to, to join the staff. And uh, a lot of people were down there. Um, at the same time, this guy's starting to make promises, you know, okay. You know, he's also spreading a lot of money around. He gave a ton of money to IFPA to be a quote, you know, platinum plutonium double gold sponsor. IFPA, by the way, for, for those listeners not initiated is what the international flipper pinball association. It's the governing body of international competitive pinball. Yes. And I wouldn't say a sponsorship there has a ton of value, except that Competitive pinball players check it every day after a tournament to see if right. they've gone up or down in the rankings. Okay. Um, but, you know, this guy gave them a lot of money to be their sponsor. Um, he spent sent a lot of money to the Texas Pinball Festival for their tournament. Um, he's uh, $15,000, $20,000 for the prize pool. And as someone who's put on a pinball tournament, that is huge. Someone's going to give you free money as prize money. Usually the prize money just mm. comes out of what the players pay, and it's fairly paltry. Uh, all of a sudden, right. now now the grand prize is $8,000 or something, you know. He gave money to Papa, who everybody loves. Papa ran Replay uh, FX and Pinburg, which was the world's biggest pinball tournament with, with the world's biggest prize pool. And uh, he, he spread a lot of money around to a lot of uh, people to generate a lot of goodwill. Um, and by the way, it's, it's worth noting, uh, you know, you mentioned this. Spreading the wealth around like that, like doing some sort of patronage, some log rolling, that's a very good way to earn goodwill. Yeah. You know, you just you you because then you can position yourself as showing up for the community. Right. It's like, you know, I'm not just like trying to sucker you like I am. I am with you. Right. I yeah. I, I I support what this thing is about. Right. And so he announces Texas Pinball Festival, which is in Texas. I think it's near Dallas, which is probably somewhere near San Antonio. Uh, it's in the, I know it's a, Texas is a very small state, so it's probably right next to <laughs> Yeah, tiny. Um, Famously so he, small state. He announces, not only am I giving $20,000 to the Texas pit, to the tournament guys to, to have this huge prize pool, um, I'm also going to uh, reveal everything at the five days of deep root. That's, <laughs> I know. It's Even at the time, it sounded fucking stupid to me, but whatever. 
The On the fifth of day of deep root, my true yes. love gave to me. <laughs> Culminating, I, I can only assume on the last day of the Texas Pinball Festival, which is a huge pinball show. Um, it's a very, very, one of the biggest of the pinball shows. Like, I don't know, two weeks before it, he's like, you know what? We're not ready. There will be no five oh, days of deep Oh, no. <laughs> um, I was so looking forward to no it. There will be no days of deep There will be no, we're not ready, so there will not be five days of deep We're still going to keep donate the money to the tournament and the festival. That's still in play. Um, but you're going to have to wait a little longer for the big deep root reveal. This is when some people, including myself, and yeah, I had to say, uh, I went recently, I went through that thread to look at all 700 of my posts in the deep root thread. And that was the point where I was like, you know what? It's a real is- barn burner of a thread, folks, by the way. If you've got like a weekend to spare and you just want to read some posts, check out the deep root thread on pinside.com. Yeah, I, I, I recommend you just filter it to read my posts. That'll give you a pretty good idea. Uh, and, you know, I feel pretty good about it because, you know, a lot of times you look back and, oh, I shouldn't have said that or that was stupid. Or, yeah. But, that was the point where I believe I said this is starting to look like all the other scams we've seen. Sure. So this is this is this is toward the end of 2018, then. I think so. I don't really okay. remember, but it was 2018, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and I think at that time I said this is starting to look like every other scam we've seen. Uh, right. Talk a lot of shit. Promise yep. big. Delay big. And that's right. what was starting to happen. The only thing they hadn't done, and this is what people would never fucking let go. They haven't asked us for any money. Where's right. the scam? And this is when other people who have a yeah. better understanding of how financial stuff works than I do have a better understanding of these funds. And the, they said, you know what? That's not really true. Somebody is throwing money away right now. Right. Hmm. And it might not be us, but there's a very good chance that somebody is getting screwed out of their money as we watch this train wreck unfold. And I remember at this time, actually, in my in some of my conversations, um, then seeing some of these things that were from the other sides of Deep Root, including, of course, Deep Root funds, where it was like, you know, their prospectus. And this is not a prospectus that looked anything like the normal prospectus you would see. Again, it guaranteed outcomes, which you cannot do in investment. You literally cannot. It, not only should you not do that, you cannot do that. It is not possible to guarantee a future result. That is a fundamental uh, fact of investment. And that should have been a big old fucking red flag. Nobody cared because he hadn't asked for any money. He was from sticking. pinball people. <laughs> Nobody cared because right. he's, he's stuck to his promise not to ask for pre-order right. money. He's not going to go down that no road. No gray rabbits. No rabbits to fill in. He's not going to make the same mistake that we've seen time and time that we've seen several times already where he's going to ask us for money. He's managing J-pop. It's all going to happen. Just not, just not this year because right. it's, it's, you know what, at this point he started to amend his, he's still doing these softball interviews, but some people are starting to get a little suspicious. And now he's saying in his latest pinball, is, yeah, pinball is easy. Just like I said, right. It's just that putting it all together and actually manufacturing <laughs> the pinball machines it's a little harder than I thought. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> so then we, we 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 roll around we roll around to the beginning of the year of our Lord 2019, and at this point, uh, we still haven't seen anything concrete. We are we are Absolutely. looking at like, you know, that's not, not completely even- true. Sometime around this time, 2018, 2019, uh, out of nowhere, at a relatively small pinball show, it was like a Houston amusement. It might not even be pinball. It might have been a um, uh, mm. an, an industry show or something like an amusement industry. 
out of nowhere, this prototype of, of Raza. We're not even right. making Magic Girl is going to be later down the road. Now we're working on this retro atomic zombie. Uh, that's yeah, the yeah, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that's going to going to be the first release. I'm uh, I'm spot checking now the uh, the 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 thread from Pinside to make sure that we're getting the timeline right. And it looks like beginning of 2019. That was when they were really starting to hype up that Raza is coming back. At this point, Magic Girl, yes, they have promised that Magic Girl will get shipped. And if I recall correctly, like, <laughs> I, I don't know exactly. Oh, oh, there's all, I hate to break in, but there's also a deal on the table now. Uh, uh, right, yes, yes, yes. Right. And this is, again, there's a deal for the people who got hoodwinked the first time around. Right. Oh, you can get your money back. You can get a check right now. If you put it, play it in for any of these J-pop scams, you can get a check for cash money and you're out. Uh, of course you waive, you know, you waive any legal this or that, but you're getting your money back. Uh-huh. If you don't want to do that, you're signing a, uh, a release of all legal responsibility for the previous scams. You're going to get your Raza. It doesn't matter if you bought a Magic Girl or if you bought an Alice in Wonderland or if you bought a Kiss or if you bought a Raza, you're going to get a right. Raza. You're going to get store credit. Well, if you if you bought Ben Hex Raza, which is different, yes. by the way, from Raza. But like right. yes. at this at this point as well, um, the the game, the, the, the Magic Girl conversation has pretty much the goalposts have shifted. Right now, it's yeah. like Raza, Raza, Raza. We're going to ship the new version of Raza. And then after we get that out, yeah, you're going to get your Magic Girl. But like, just just trust yeah. us, guys. But and why not get the Raza? Take the Raza. <laughs> We're going to give you store credit or you get your money back. At this point, anybody who was not living in an insane asylum took the money back. They said, you know what? Are you seriously going to send me a check? I think this was a very small group of people. We never will know how many people got their check. But it appears that many more were were so tantalized by finally getting the Raza that they never asked for or ordered. Um, that they were they were in it. They were ride or die. Well, and it, it's such a, it's such a great way of putting it too, because it's like a deal or no deal because of the way these appreciate <laughs> yeah. value. It's like you can take this amount <laughs> that the dealer has put out for you, or you can open the next briefcase. And they're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be a sucker. I have so much money I could make off of this. And I don't know if it was everybody. I don't know if it was even Alice in Wonderland. Because the other funny thing is, J-pop had no accounting system. He didn't know who owed him what. He didn't know who he owed. He didn't know anything. Like he took money and he didn't write it down anywhere. So it was pretty rough. Like who actually was owed? People had all people had was these receipts with these whimsical pointy hands on them, telling them that they were owed a Raza or an Alice in Wonderland or a Kiss or a Ben Heck or a or a Raza or a Magic Girl. The whole thing. But so now so they just had to like they had to uncover their little like pop-up ticket thing if they had any hopes of getting their money back or there, getting their, their There was Raza, no spreadsheet. There was nothing. Oh my God. As far as I know, some people did get their money back. And those, yeah. and of course it wasn't their money. It, it was stolen money, it turned <laughs> right. out. But that's beyond the point. So this, of course, leads to more of this nonsense. Right. Like, and you, and you just, have, just, to, just to clear the timeline here too, because yeah. again, I'm looking at the thread so that I can make sure we get this right. Um, beginning like April ish of 2019 is when we start to see a little bit of collateral about what new Raza will look like at this point. We still don't have anything concrete in, in the way of like a play field or anything like that. Um, that, Stuff. When did the, do you see the buyouts in there? You probably missed that. That might have been around 2018, 2019. Yeah, no, because this this thread, I think, was after that time. Um, but then we we do get 
sort of the the very first like playfield stuff, the very first gameplay stuff. This is all happening um, at, in November of 2019. Right at this at this point, you know, people throughout the thread are comparing it to the Homer, you know, that from the Simpsons, the famous the <laughs> yeah. famous car that Homer made. Uh, that they added ten gazillion features and it cost ten gazillion dollars. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, around 2019 when the, the game was seen by some right. of the public. It showed up right. at this Houston show out of nowhere. Right. And I remember, like, this is the reveal. It's like, it's just at a show. And like I was like, where's the fire? Like, I thought this right. thing was going to come descending from the heavens. <laughs> and there would be, like, all these babes, like, on it. And, like, it would, it would explode. I was like, this, the whole thing was very undeep considering all the shit this guy talked it was just kind of popped up at some C-list pinball show and people played it and some people took video and it looked pretty right. fucking terrible. It was like, you couldn't make the ramp. It was typical J-pop nonsense. You couldn't right, make yeah. the ramp. Nobody, the whole thing was like, has anybody seen the ramp? Has anybody seen them make the ramp? You, nobody back. could make that fucking ramp. And that's the joke. <laughs> that's the running joke about it is that they had a completely unmakeable ramp. It's, it's the power because at these pinball shows, the current, sometimes the draw is too much. And that's why you can't. <laughs> is that the what ramp. they said? Yeah, that's what some people were trying to. You can't. That's make, so funny. All right, you know what? They'll fix it. They'll fix the ramp. They'll fix the ramp. It's They'll like, fix it. And it's, it was pretty clear this game was going to be fucking terrible if it ever came out. Oh my so, God. so then that's 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 happening in in uh, in 2019, late 2019. So uh, so this was the Raza that they showed off. Yes. Yes. That, um, yeah, this is what the people who were stupid enough not to take their checks right. uh, were going to get. Yeah. The year 2020 continues, and not much. What happened? Something happened happens. in 2020. Right? Oh no! I'll I'll get there. Um, but I'm I saying just that the generally in the world something happened. Oh 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 yeah! In the world, yeah. Oh, did right. it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then I remember because it's, it's all a distant memory now. But yeah, there yeah. Is, yeah. It's, it's uh, all yeah. over. We're all fine now. I'm not yeah. still in small town New Mexico because I lost my apartment. But <laughs> <laughs> now in yeah. uh, I don't know January February of 2020, he announces, "Okay, here's the big fucking event. There's going to be." a bunch of pinball machines. There's going to be a Raza playthrough. There's right. going to be a Tex-Mex buffet. Uh, there's going to be... <laughs> it's all well, yeah, it's San Antonio. Yeah, San Antonio. It's all going to happen in the Deep Root Theater. This, we're building it just for this fucking... Everything about this sounds so terrifying. <laughs> well, let's, let's come into the Deep Root Theater. Mm. No one has ever died inside the Deep Root Theater. I just needed to tell everyone that. By the way, the, uh, the guy who... Built the Deep Root Theater is one of the many ongoing current lawsuits against Robert Mueller and Deep Root. Uh, of course. He never got course. paid for this 5,000-seat fucking theater he made at the Deep Root facility. Oh but God. anyway, it's going to happen. You want to come? Right. You want to get your Tex-Mex buffet? Uh, send us your credentials. You know, are you part of the pinball media? Are you part of the real media? Are you part of the fake news media? <laughs> <laughs> now, fortunately for Deep Root, you know, praise God, this fucking horrible pandemic happens. And right. he's able to say, you know what, we're going to have to delay this thing. Because right. there's no way on God's green earth that this thing would have been anything but an unmitigated disaster God damn, uh, in early so 2020. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we sort of proceed through the year 2020, and we don't hear too much, right, other than like a little bit here and there, until we hit uh, September. And I would like, I have it up here, I would like to read verbatim this release. Okay, so this is 11 months before right now. Correct. Um, wow. Let me pull this up here. 
<clears throat> Here we go. And keep in mind, it's already two years now since the five days of deeper was promised. <laughs> <laughs> September 21, 2020. Deep Root Pinball has spent years redesigning the pinball machine from the ground up with countless novel approaches. On this past Saturday, we had hoped to host a launch event with six well-known pinball personalities. Due to technical issues and lots of feedback from our guests. I have to cut you off. Before this happened, it was announced that we're going to do a, a reveal. It's a pandemic. We can't do the five yeah. days of deep break. Right. We can't do the text mex buffet. We can't, <laughs> right. we can't bring in the entire pinball media and anybody else who wants to come. We're going to do a reveal for the lucky VIP six. We're going to bring in six lucky cel pinball celebrities to experience what we wanted you to see last year uh, or earlier this year, what we wanted the five days of deep room to be. The event actually does happen. Uh, they go in there and Raza and all of its glory is shown and they all sign NDAs and they can't talk about it, uh, the, the, the VIP six, and the event actually happens. And we're all breathless waiting to find out what happened. And then it starts leaking out like, hey, it was a bit of a disaster. And we're of course, all <laughs> thrilled to hear this because it's amazing. It's what we, you know, we've all been waiting for is, you know, this spectacular flight. So then what happens is they issue the press release that you're about to read. Yes, 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 yes. So they are grateful and thankful to Lauren, Carrie, Colin, Jeff, Chris, and Crystal for their invaluable feedback and involvement in refining our platform to be the best that it can be. The result is the realization that we are not as ready for launch as we had hoped. We are already working hard to fix the technical issues and implement our guests' feedback. So the only right decision today is to postpone the public release of our platform in our first game, Raza. We hope that you agree that releasing a well-engineered and fun-to-play Raza is in everyone's best interest, exclamation point. We hope to update you during this process. We remain deeply committed to delivering the highest quality of gameplay and innovation to our players. We thank you for your continued trust and patience, the team at Deep Root Pinball. Well, I'm, right. I'm seeing what the real problem is here from that. Uh -huh. It's that pinball is just too easy. <laughs> Pinball is easy. Now we're only what three years into this fucking thing, and let me tell you what actually happened at this reveal because it all comes out in the next couple of days. All right, okay. the game won't turn on; it won't work. You can't play. Um, there's this ridiculous... the part where the power gets introduced to the device. Uh, not so great. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> Deeper has been going on for a year about their incredible hammer-proof playfields. One of the biggest uh, complaints from pinball buyers is that okay. these games dimple. They get these tiny little dots in them because a steel ball is harder than a piece of wood. And it drives right. everybody fucking crazy. Despite the fact that who gives a shit? It's a pinball machine. You're going to get these tiny little things. On your, it doesn't matter. It's not anything. But Deep Root's going to fix that with their magic hammer-proof um, playfield clear coat. Okay. I mean, the sheer number of times that I've hammered a pinball play field and uh, it's, you know, like what that, <laughs> would you a, like to, are you going to get a problem that demands a solve for, you know what I mean? Are you going to get a dimple on your plan on your pinball machine where you can literally whack it with a hammer? No, you're not. So they had the VIP six whacking it with a hammer and all was well and good. The problem was that apparently the uh, hammer crew clear coat had the texture of a uh, orange peel. It was lumpy. And oh. uh, it was not something you want on your pinball machine. So that was the last we ever heard of the hammer-proof uh, playfields. After they made a huge deal about it, after they offered to make T-shirts of people poo-pooing the idea that they could get rid of dimples. Uh, also, 
There was some speculation that some quotes from myself from posts I had offered. Was, there was speculation that some of my own quotes were going to end up on these t-shirts, uh, thrust in my face, mocking my my uh, and doubting the possibility of the hammer-proof playfield. Um, and then it was revealed that it, it basically had the surface of the moon. It was not good. Uh, it's the, also worth noting that at some point around here, they do start taking pre- paid pre-orders as well. Well, um, we're getting to that. Um, okay. The okay. next thing is they, they, they still, you know, like this, this didn't really go our way, but we're still going to announce all the cool shit we were going to right. announce that we're still working. One of these things is the pin bar. Oh, yeah. The pin bar is, quote, the most revolutionary innovation <laughs> in the history of pinball. Brian, Ooh. what do you think the pin bar is? Uh, I, I can't. At first, I thought it was just going to be pinball in a bar, but it can't be that, right? Yeah, it's, no, it's no. Gonna no be so something so else. much more amazing. No, than think, this. think about a pinball machine, right? Think yeah, about yeah. all of the parts of a pinball machine. Ooh, oh, what so is it a bar with an upper playing field? Not quite. What part okay. of the pinball machine, like, doesn't have a screen but could really use a screen? The entire um, thing. <laughs> I was gonna say the plunger. <laughs> All right, look, look. Just a very small round screen. Brian's just a civilian. He's not a pinball yeah. guy. He's never gonna. He's he doesn't have like the the. He doesn't see the vision. I don't. Have, I don't. He doesn't have the kind of mind that can come up with this right. kind of innovation. Um, but anyway, this is the most quote innovative innovation that has ever innovated in the history of pinball. This is an industry that invented the flipper in 1948. Um, this is an industry that invented the score reel. Scoring on pinball machine used to be light bulbs, and you would add yeah. up your score. The industry that invented the uh, the slingshot, that invented the pop bumper. What what could be on the level of those innovations? The pop bumper came before the flipper and revolutionized pinball. It was the first time that a mechanical mm. device on the pinball playfield interacted with the ball. Before there was even mm. the flipper, there was the electronic, the electric pop bumper, uh, right. the d- digital display, the dot matrix screen, the LCD screen. Yeah. All of these innovations were going to pale in comparison to the pin bar. One day, this is how they wound it up this pitch. And at this point, I was doubled over in laughter. Uh, <laughs> you know, one day, people will walk up to an older pinball machine and say, where's the pin bar? Where's the pin bar? Yeah, I remember that. So the pin bar was the, uh, <laughs> the front of a pinball machine has something called a lockdown bar. The lockdown bar is what holds the glass into the pinball machine. To remove, oh, okay. to remove the glass on your pinball machine, you open the front door, you pull a lever or you move a latch and you remove uh-huh. the lockdown bar, which is a piece of metal generally. It's a, yeah. it's just a piece of, of a die cast metal um, and you take it off, you put it aside and you slide the glass out. The pin bar changes this ancient non-innovative dichotomy to add a widescreen LCD touchscreen to the entire pin bar. Uh, the lockdown bar is no longer just a static piece of metal. It is a interactive uh, touchscreen, which will unlock the potential right. of a pinball machine to a degree that we've never seen in history. Now, now again, <laughs> the thing about the pin bar, right? Like, Brian, you've seen a pinball machine. You know, like what a lockdown bar looks like, and you know what the dimensions of a lockdown bar are, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's I mean, very just, wide. Yeah, just, I, I was thinking, like, am I just thinking of this wrong? It's just the front of the yeah it's the piece of metal that's at the very front the of, the, of the thing yeah exactly yeah. on the corner well now um, it's got an ipad on yeah so, and, but, but, fucking do? but also it, this is a screen like thinking again going back to like cost materials yeah, that kind yeah. of thing you're talking about a screen a, a touch that screen is, 
a, a touchscreen, touch custom dimension touchscreen. <laughs> it is extremely wide and extremely short. <laughs> the, the, these do not come off the rack. What do you and, think the cost of goods is for something like what that? What do you wait? What do you do? What are you supposed to? Do? What are you touching? What are you? What is well, this you're screen touching, do you're for touching you? the pin bar. What do you mean? Like, the, it's, it's, <laughs> you're, you, if you walk up to any old pinball machine, which now instantly looks like it was made by the Amish. If you yeah. walk up to, yeah. to any game like that, I mean, I, you my press, eyes, my third eye has opened. Right. Think of every game. What's the same about every pinball machine you ever played? It has a start button. It has an old school micro switch or a contact start button that you have to press. Right. But now you're going like to start some kind game. of a cuckold. Yeah. Now you're going to start your game by touching the pinball. And then in the game, there's going to be all these cool features that are going to be unlocked by touching the pin bar and moving things oh. around. And this is why people like pinball because they love fucking around with touch screens. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, yeah, exactly. It's not, not only is I this, wish this table was more like my phone. I would yeah. like to touch or, this completely non-tactile surface. That's what or, I love so much about pinball. Go to your upper middle class parents' house. They might have something like this on their refrigerator uh, or even right. their their stove. It's like, Which everybody loves. It makes the stove and the freeze freezer so much more usable. As the yeah. pictures started to roll out, people were taking pictures of their stoves and their refrigerators, <laughs> and uh, they were proudly displaying the pin bars that they own. Uh, the other uh, thing about this pin bar is it was completely ninety degree angles. Now, anybody who's ever played uh, Stellar Wars uh, or any of these other 70s Williams wide body games, which was a, a oh, new yeah. concept that was very popular for a couple of years in the 70s, late 70s, they were wide games. Um, and yeah. they had these lockdown bars that were basically rectangles. And they really are painful on, on your, your, the center of your hand happens to be a nerve center. Right. There's bones right. there and nerves. Um, and it would really hurt playing these games. Like, cause you whack the side of the, the mm -hmm. you do a slap save. It actually or you was, push down on it. You, you, you move right. it around. Yeah. It's, it's a little painful to play these games. And you kind of think, oh, this is not so well thought out. The pin bar had this exact same dimensions to Those it. Those edges were fucking sharp too, it right? It appeared like, to be sharp and painful. Yeah. I, I, didn't yeah, see I am it. looking at a picture of a pin bar now. <laughs> <laughs> this I mean, is fucking tickled that like he's getting to describe the pin bar to virgin eyes and you're I, just like taking it I in was so I, hoping, I was so hoping i would be able to trash this reveal and oh. well well everybody else is going over the fact that it was basically canceled because they're obviously not ready again i was writing magna carta length screens <laughs> about how ridiculous the pin bar was and the best thing was the pitch for this pin bar beyond you know the most innovative thing in the history of pinball have you ever seen of course you have those made on tv those as seen on tv commercials right like, has this ever happened to you right and you see a guy just trying to dice a tomato and he's yeah, chopping his hand white. off yeah right and it's like he's you know the tomatoes are on the floor and it's like has this ever happened to you when you're just trying to juice an orange and there's like blood and like the dog is, <laughs> is mauling the guy because he's got a bloody hand now and there's oranges everywhere. that's what they were trying to make this up they were like no longer will you be forced to attempt to operate an archaic and impossible to understand <laughs> button system to change your setting. Now, for anybody who's not familiar with pinball machines, there are four buttons inside the coin door of a pinball machine. It's been the same menu system for about 30 years. You press the right button to enter, the left button to escape, 
and the two uh-huh. center buttons to move up or down. Those are also your volume buttons. It also it's, takes, like, if you've never used it before, it takes you approximately one minute to wrap your head around it. It is, it is a very yeah. intuitive, simple, and reliable system. 30 years on. And reliable is important, by the way, because, you know, we're talking about a mechanical game you're with a about, lot of moving parts. You're talking about a game that people are going to spill, spill beer on. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about a game that's going to take a lot of abuse. You're talking about a game that's going to get used. Now, these 30, they almost always work. It's 30 years old. Sometimes one of the buttons doesn't work. So you hack and if you want to half-ass it, you literally just hot wire it. You cut the wires and then touch the wires like you're trying to steal a 78 cutlass and the button <laughs> will work. Or if you've got if you got 45 minutes to kill on a soldering iron, you can and you want to do it right, you can put in a new set of buttons. This is 30 years on. Okay, so we're gonna make this needlessly complicated, obviously fragile, infinitely more expensive. And this is the world's big because we're gonna save you. From the, I remember arguing with some people about this. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me with this pitch? And they're like, well, you know, I do find it kind of difficult to use these buttons sometimes. <laughs> and if people so wanted to believe that this was right. the innovation. And this is, and the other thing is, this has nothing to do with the fucking game. Nobody cares right. about no, this. No, I shit. mean, like, that's something you spend a few seconds doing, but most of the time you're pushing the two buttons on the side of the machine. Right. Oh, and uh, by the way, to play the actual game. And by the way, the entire pin bar assembly raises with the play field. So no longer can I raise the play field during a switch or solenoid test. These are diagnostic things that you use. Oh my to, God, to I didn't even out. think about that. Uh, you know what else you can't do with a pin bar if it breaks? Anything. Yep. <laughs> you can't start your game. You right. can't do diagnostics. You can't figure out why the fucking pin bar isn't working because your screen doesn't work anymore. Right. It's it's one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard of. And it was so, as the greatest thing to happen in the history of pinball. Around this time, as you mentioned, maybe a couple weeks later, he announces, okay, you've seen what it looks like. It wasn't ready to show you. Uh, the rumor on the street is that the pin bar didn't work. So they couldn't actually boot up the game for the lucky VIP six. They couldn't play this fucking thing. The people had flown out to San Antonio in the middle of a pandemic to see uh, it wasn't going to happen. But now we're going to sell these things. We're going to take money for a month. This is December 2020. For 25 days, we're going to allow you to send us uh, $2,000 or $500, whatever, as a deposit. Or if you want to get to the front, front line and get your Raza before anybody else, we're going to let you spend the entire eight grand or whatever the hell they were asking for this. This is when the actual, when the Homer really, the Homer right, comparison right, is really right. strict. People are like, this is it. This is the fucking innovative. <laughs> right. The game looks terrible. <laughs> the pin bar is stupid. It didn't work for these pinball celebrities that they flew out here to see it. And now you want us to send money? Who's going to be fucking stupid enough to do that? Me. That's uh, we've got all the pieces in place. We got the pin bar. We got the greatest designer in the history of pinball. And we've got the, 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 the showman, the salesman who's going to make it all possible. At this point in the Deep Root saga, <laughs> it is uh, December of 2020. Oh, and shit. There's one other thing I got to tell you about. Oh, OK. okay. Um, not, only, December. not only did he announce uh, the rosin that doesn't work and the pin bar that's going to change pinball forever. Um, right. He announces the pin pod. Oh God, the pin pod. We got to talk the about pin the pin pod. pod. Right. What? Um, it was Brian. Not, Brian. It, let, well, maybe maybe let, let me frame same, up. Brian, what is the same? Every pinball machine you've ever bought, 
What is the saying about the way it arrives to your house? <laughs> All of those pinball machines <laughs> that you've bought. <laughs> what is the saying about every one of those games that came off the truck? What are the, when, it came, when it came off the truck and you looked at it, what was the same about every one of the pinball machines you uh, It's in a bunch of stupid, boring cardboard. <laughs> That's right, Brian. <laughs> right. See, this if is only easy. there was some other packaging material. <laughs> That could, that could bring me my pinball machine. He's kicking up when I'm laying down. He's oh fucking box. Uh, oh the God. box. I don't want to, you know, we could spend three hours on this, but you know, the box was created back in the Egyptian days. <laughs> the innovation on the box is completely through the floor. Like there's been nothing. Right. It's just, you know no, what? No, no. The, the, the greedy Jews who run pinball are happy to keep the same <laughs> shitty fucking box for every pinball shooter. Well, they pocket the profits. <laughs> it's fucked up. But here comes deeper. Please, please tell me, please tell me that they somehow incorporate a pin bar into the into the new packaging. <laughs> they, they did not. But what they <sighs> did bring you was the pin pod, a nine hundred and fifty dollar box for your pinball machine that will revolutionize the way you get your pinball machines checked. This box, you know, it's insulting to call it a box. I'm going to call it a a innovative containment shipping domicile. It's a wooden crate, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's 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 made of wood. It's got uh, straps on it, and it, right. they didn't make it. They bought is it, it. Is it is it hammer-proof wood at least? Yes. <laughs> this, they, long story short, they took some other amazing new innovative box that someone else sells. Slap deep root on it. Call it a pin pod. And literally to- slap deep root on it like right. they they stenciled the logo on with spray paint like <laughs> and then they told you it was gonna cost 950 dollars. and if you didn't buy the 950 dollars pin pod which not only is going to help your uh rosin machine arrive to your home with a functioning pin bar it's going to uh you can use it in the future anytime the you have box a game costs extra 950 <laughs> extra for the pin and whenever you have but it's not just for this game whenever you want to move a pinball machine whenever you want to oh, ship a pinball machine, you can use right. this pin pod which is basically right. a fortress around your game uh it's right. the most amazing box in the history of boxes and um except for all the <laughs> other ones that other companies have used i guess um, also, if you don't, Brian is like borderline in tears right so, now. So he, I mean, I'm looking at the picture of it right now too. It's it looks so annoying. It yeah. is the most pretentious fucking crate that's ever existed. So you're just supposed to put this fucking thing somewhere in your home for the it rest gets, of your life. It gets better because <laughs> the pin pod will not fit through a normal front door. <laughs> so you're you gonna gotta get the pin door. You right. gotta get. The deep root pin door. That's that's you're right. The pin door. It's another two thousand dollars. It's like two big dudes with sledgehammers who <laughs> expand your doorway. Your normal door is expanded. Right. So this oh is another God. way after revolutionizing the pinball industry is with the uh, the pin pot. Also, I'm not confirmed on this because at this point everything was so insane that, that you could you didn't know it was true and what was fiction. But I believe if you didn't upgrade to the pin bot, to the pin pod, uh, you kind of waived any kind of um, warranty you would have on the game because oh shipping in a normal box would would open it up to the damage, you know, of the <laughs> forklift or whatever. Um, now, I, we can't do this now. I would love to just sit here and watch it with you guys, MST 3K style. But there is a 25-minute <laughs> video 
I um, watched that earlier. Um, it's fucking awesome. How did you almost let the pin pod go? What kind of a podcast is this where you would just almost move past the pin pod? Oh my God, it's called a podcast. Not even talk about the pin pod? Fucked up. So, so this video was posted by Deep Root Pinball. It has about 967 views. That's it. Uh, which Hopefully we've we gotten more views on our videos. And <laughs> it was posted uh, on December 7th, 2020, the anniversary right. of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. <laughs> and this is and it's hard to maybe, say what was a bigger tragedy. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it has handles just all over it for some reason. Yeah. I don't know what's move. happening here. I think the pen pod might have destroyed more lives uh, than yeah. it's destroying Harvard. my life. Well, like, I, I'm, I'm going through a crisis looking at you, this thing. You need to watch the video on your own time. All of your oh, listeners yeah, need to do we'll this link video. It. We'll link it in the show notes. Good. It'll totally happen. I, I don't so, understand what any of that means, but it has to be done. If it means more oh, yeah. people will see this video where he's, he, they're all wearing masks, but you can't help but, but feel bad for all these guys who are being forced yeah. to watch this presentation. Right. Uh, and he's doing things like asking, like, okay, when you get a pinball machine, What's that called? When when you have it, when you buy a brand new pinball machine, what is that? What what is that? And somebody's like, new in box. Yes, new in box. Very good. And it's like it's it's like this kindergarten class of like condescending bullshit. And then he oh. goes on about the total. It's not just the pin box. <laughs> really watching that video, it really shows you everything deeper. You've got right. this this bullshit laden buffoon with this giant gut straining to get out of his tiny and if anybody's (laughs) seen this fucking guy's facebook profile he obviously spent a lot of the money that he stole on like retouching for his photo because i had no idea (laughs) that his body looked like a skinny guy with a fucking beach ball shoved up his shirt (laughs) so this is this guy he comes out here he's saying okay like the south park guy every five years he's he's like okay Here's what Deep Root's all about, okay? Okay? Deep Root is about the TPOE. It's a little thing we call TPOE. Oh, I I would love to learn what those letters stand for. (laughs) You don't have to live in a world where you don't know what TPOE means, because I'm about to tell you the total pinball ownership experience. Of course. fucking kidding me? (laughs) You haven't been getting that from Stern. You haven't been getting that from Jersey right. Jack. You haven't been getting that from anybody. You have not been getting the total pinball ownership experience. Are you, Brian Alford, are you down with TPOE? <laughs> yeah, you know me. Fuck yeah. The total <laughs> pinball ownership experience. And Deep Root is the one who's going to bring it to you. And oh my all, God. The, part of that is this pin pod, this ridiculous fucking box. We're going to try to sell you for a thousand dollars. We've got the pin pod. We've got the, we've got the pin bar Pin bar. We've got, we are now, we are now at this point, it is December of 2020. Robert Mueller, the, the biggest huckster in the history of pinball is and now something. is really saying something is now <laughs> taking pre-orders for Raza um, in, 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 in something resembling volume. Like we've got, I think like a couple hundred people, right. Who end up pre-ordering. Nobody knows how many people were stupid enough to give this guy money, but there are rumors that he bought 30 of his own or something to like pump up the number. I think the final number was 167 people or something went with either the thousand dollar deposit or the full fucking money. So they could get the first, so they could be the first people to experience TPOE firsthand. So then at this point, the the um 
the communication it's largely goes dark there, at this point. There's a fifteen hundred dollar extended warranty option. Right, right, there's, right. There's, I also I also see maybe this is getting ahead of things. There's two editions of this game. Right. Right. There's the arcade edition for you lowly plebs who can only afford sixty five or seven thousand dollars of this. And then there's the extra edition, which is gonna be like nine thousand or something. Thirteen thirteen yeah. K. What? Uh, Are you serious? Thirteen K. Yeah. How much was the arcade edition? Uh, eight thousand dollars. Arcade edition has a better color palette. I have to say, like changing the color palette entirely was a bad choice. Right, and it doesn't have the back box that looks like an aquarium for a fish. Yeah. Um, and that was the other thing too was there was like the whole stupid like back box that was like elevated above the thing because you know pinball you know for too long the back box has been attached to the, the body of the game and you know we got to revolutionize that too I don't even want to get into that because it's just aesthetic and by the way other manufacturers had done that there was a company called Wicco that had made a game with the identical back but I don't want to talk about that what I do want to talk about is on most pinball machines you raise the play field Right. Uh, you slide it towards yourself and you lean it back against the back box or right. you raise it and there's a little prop bar, kind of like the hood of a car. And right. that's how oh, okay. you get to look underneath, depending on what mech you're trying to get to or what switch you're trying to get to. You do one of those two things. You start fucking around yeah. underneath the pinball machine because that's what you do when you own a pinball machine. You know, you got to do a lot of fucking around. I guess if you don't want to. You spend the fifteen hundred dollars. What were they going to do? They were going to send like a pinball mechanic to your house. I don't understand what the fifteen hundred dollar extended warranty was supposed to get you, but you can be sure some fucking moron spent the money on it. Anyway, know, some guy comes to your house and sucks you, you off. It's a spare pin pin. Anyway, that shit's not good enough for deeper because we're innovating everything. Everything right, must be right, innovated. Right uh, now, we're going to install uh, hydraulic struts on this uh, playfield glass, which is going to rise. Right. Like, uh, yeah. Fucking way. Yes, fucking way. Uh, it's gonna rise with a with a pleasant hiss, like the hatchback right. of your car, and it's gonna raise up. And now you don't have to worry about the glass breaking. You don't have to take right. the the glass out of the game. It's all contained in this ridiculously complicated and expensive system. Which anybody who knows about hydraulics knows in five years that's gonna start sagging like an old man who's out of Viagra. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because it's all fucking innovative. Everything about this game, we're changing <laughs> everything. So. Basically, what you have here, and it's such a strand, you've got a complete flop of a reveal. That was nothing short of a disaster. The reveal was a complete disaster. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, we're going to put these things for sale, and you're going to give us money. And by the right. way, no photos of our factory, uh, no information about how we're actually going to build these fucking things. And, you know, th this is where, this is what happened. And uh, this this brings you up to the end of 2020, and right. not too many people are doing it. But there are people who sent them money at this point. I would say and, uh, at least a hundred people. And and after that, you know, twenty twenty one begins. And at this point, you know, Mueller and company are really just kind of keep kicking the can down the road. Well, like there there isn't also a, Mueller a whole is no, Mueller is no longer giving interviews. He's no right. longer posting in the deep root thread about what fucking morons right. everybody is. He was <laughs> right. doing that for right. a while. Um, right. No, there's there's really largely radio silence and the few communications that do come out are basically just excuses for why this thing is nowhere close to shipping. Yet. Every couple months, there's a new email about, yeah. oh, this is one of my favorites. Um, previously, we told you this game was going to ship in March of 2021. Those were in those were external estimates. The internal estimates oh. are different. And at this point, uh -huh. we're going to stop sharing external estimates. We're just going to keep right. it all in house. It's all about the internal estimates. We're going to stop telling you when the game is going to ship because 
you guys berated us into giving you these external estimates and we're going to stop doing that. We're going to like right. each press release starts getting stupider and weirder at the same time. And, and at this point too, the, 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 the discourse, uh, you know, on pin side at all yeah. is, is just, it's becoming laughable. It's you know, evolving. Like, uh, there's a you, lot you, of you've, pointing and laughing and a lot yep. of defensive. You guys don't know what the fuck's going on over there. This is still and at this bad. point, it's it, it's really at this point just like a handful of diehards. Like the vast majority of people have come around and realized that this is not fucking happening. Some people, I think, have swallowed their pride, but not everybody. The Germans were the last to fold. Uh, much like World War, <laughs> much like World War II, as per usual, yeah. Yeah, the Germans, for some fucking reason, there were three or four German guys who were total diehards on this shit. They were like the entire time. They're like, "You're a fucking moron. This is innovation. This is what." And I remember the f- March, April this year, the Germans lost faith, and it was it was sure. a little sad, you know. It was like when right. you've lost Germany. Yeah. What do you have, really? <laughs> I remember when the Germans started saying, I'm starting to think I'm not getting my game. Or like, And you still, at this point, did have a handful of people, really like three guys <laughs> oh, at this way, point, who were like... A couple months ago, April or some shit, I don't even know anymore. There was another, and I don't even know if this was total bullshit, but there was another refund offer. It was like, oh, here's your last nice. chance. I know we're fucking this up. If you want your fucking money back, now's the time. We're only going to offer this for like two weeks or two days. Right. And get your money. I don't think anybody at that point. Everybody was like, "Ride or die." I knew this was a gamble. But buying a fucking yeah ten thousand yeah. dollars. It's, it's when prophecy fails at that point. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's kind of like QAnon, right? <laughs> it's like it, it, the 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 day of the storm uh, keeps getting pushed yeah. back over and over and over again. It's a yeah, it's very similar now. thing. Look, right. I, I might be I might be wrong. And, you know, I, I can't say it on pin side because it's a moderate, moderate, moderatable offense. But <laughs> I am of the belief that the majority, the vast majority of these uh, deep root cultists are Trump voters. They exhibit the same uh, yeah. uh, the same characteristics to me. I might be wrong. I don't know how many Germans are voting Trump, but uh, <laughs> it was well, I mean, they're, 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 very similar to me. I'm just going to just I'm just going to say that. No, and I want to put a pin in that because I want to talk about that a little bit more like once we kind of wrap up. I want to talk about like, well, what have we learned? Uh, of course, the answer is nothing. But yeah. like still, there are, I think, a few things that might be interesting to touch on in, in regard to that. Because like it is, you know, w- once we get to, um, you know, 2021 again, it's it's nothing but kicking the can down the road until eventually, finally, the House of Cards yeah. collapses. So, right? so what are, so are there other developments in this current year? Yes. <laughs> Uh, besides well, what yeah. has just happened a few days ago, <laughs> about, are, are there other things like in February, weeks, March, April? About yeah, two yeah. weeks ago, a very enterprising uh, insider, a very, oh, by the way, this entire time, a very drunk Ben Heck has been posting for about yes. a year and a half. Perpetually drunk, perpetually day, posting. Every day, every night about what a shit show the whole thing is. It's it's kind of awesome. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, Getting into fights with mostly one guy from Texas. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to say, if you're not going to only look at my posts, only look at his posts. Um, it's pretty funny. Because for him, it's like a religion. It's like trashing deeper and everybody ever involved with it is like, it is his guy. And and he never he never ended up dealing with Deep Root specifically, right? Correct. Like, Correct. Personally. He was yeah. long but on by but he did get yeah. but he did get fucked over by J Pop. Right. And so for him, it's a very like it's a personal axe to right. grind. Right. He was for like a month was under the J Pop spell. This legendary mm. 
pinball right. designer right. wants to bring me to Chicago and get me involved. And, and, and then he wants to name a game. He says that he thought that was a little weird. He's like, wait, he wants to name the right. game after me. But, uh, but he right. said he was under the spell and hanging around with this guy for a couple of weeks or a couple of days uh, broke yeah. the spell pretty quick. But uh, that was not a, a luxury afforded to mo- Yeah, you would think if most of these people got to hang out at Deep Root for a week, maybe they wouldn't have sent them uh, ten or $20,000. Right. Yeah. That's not how it went down. A couple of weeks ago, this guy, Blueberry Johnson. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who he is. Wow. I don't know what his story is. Um, That's a great username, though. It is. Uh, wow. And he uh, he starts telling, hey, you know what? Deep Root is scrubbing all of uh, their online presence that they can he, Mr. Mueller has shut down his LinkedIn. He's shut down his Facebook page with a horribly retouched photo of him, you know, being 150 pounds and not 250 pounds. Um, <laughs> he is, uh, everything is leaving. Like most of the deep root site is gone, um, except for what you probably right. just looked at. And at this point, everyone starts getting in. It's over. It's fucking over. That's generally the, and there was still a couple guys like, Fuck you! You don't know what you're doing. It's not over. It's not over. No, no, you don't know what's going on in Deep Root. It's not over. But it was starting to look all of a sudden super over. Like, and there was some vague message from him about like, oh, we've run into another roadblock. There's some unexpected legal action I have to deal with. Some very vague, but it was looking pretty bad. And and then. Right. I think was it Monday? Was it today? Yeah. Do you want to so handle this? Five. Oh yeah, I'd love to because this is this is my yeah, shit okay. right here. here like go. this is I love this. Um. So on August twenty first, twenty twenty one, aka uh, Saturday, Black Saturday. James. Yeah, James UK from 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 Norwich in the United Kingdom makes a post. Is this real? <laughs> and links to a URL. It's real and it's spectacular. HTTPS colon slash slash www.sec.gov slash litigation slash complaint slash 2021. We open this up in the United States District Court for the Western District of Texas, San Antonio Division. Jury trial demanded. Securities and Exchange Commission plaintiff against Robert J. Mueller, Deep Root Funds, LLC, a.k.a. DPRT Funds, LLC, and Policy Services Incorporated, defendants, and Deep Root Tech, LLC, Deep Root Pinball, LLC, Deep Root Studios, LLC, Deep Root Sports and Entertainment, LLC, and all of these other named actors no, no to, are being no to taken self. to... Name all of my scam companies the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this just reminded me of the, the animation studio, and I wonder how those poor people have been doing for the past right, few years. Right. All of these entities are named and being taken to court by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission uh, under the claim that, and I quote, this is line number one in the complaint, from at least September 2015 to at least February 2021, Robert J. Mueller and Deep Root, both investment advisors, defrauded two investment funds they advise and nearly 300 people who invested roughly $58 million in the funds. Way to go, SEC. Uh, We're building back better, folks. But by the way, we did leave out a little bit of the 2021 stuff. There were more and more disgruntled employees were coming out of the woodwork saying they they hadn't gotten paid for months. Oh, okay. They'd been there were furloughs. Like a lot of the stuff did. It started a lot of the uh, the the cracks did start to show up in the last year. Right. 
um, of disgruntled former employees who, and you know, stuff is showing up on, there's like a, right. Yeah. There, I, I do have a couple of those glass door reviews from Pinside that I pulled up. These are very negative reviews. You know, the consensus is basically like something's fucked. Like this, this is he's, not, he's this is not, work you know, for free. He doesn't know what he's doing. Right. He's full of shit. Jesus you know, kind of all the stuff that people were, were saying, you know, and so the, 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 the core of the complaint, basically, is that Deep Root had something called the 575 Fund. And again, just to quote the complaint directly, for the 575 Fund, investors committed their principal investment for five years and elected to receive either simple annual interest of 7% per year paid out in a lump 7%. sum at the end of the five-year term, or 5% simple annual interest paid out in monthly installments for each of five years, thus the 575 in the fund's name. Again, this is guaranteeing an yeah, outcome. Yeah, this that's, is this. That's pretty concretely saying yes. You're getting this exact amount of money. It's insane. It's like, and so you know, it 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 is pretty clear that what was going on here was classic Ponzi. You know, well, he, it gets, it gets he was to the taking part where the, talks about all the great shit he spent his money on. <laughs> oh say, yes, like, of course, right. For one thing, someone like usually a Ponzi scheme is someone just buying stuff for themselves. This guy's actually like also pumping it into a thousand failed business ventures <laughs> like right, pinball. Right, what, right. It, what it comes down to is the pinball scam was extremely small in that what did, it was what, small potatoes compared to the overall what did thing, he yeah. actually steal from the pinball community a hundred thousand right, dollars I mean, it wasn't right. much that's that's bupkis compared to the 80 million he took from these investors right. um here's another here's something else from the complaint um, Mueller also used more than $1.5 million of the fund's assets to pay hundreds of personal expenses, including his daughter's private school tuition, vacations with his family, his second wedding, his second divorce, <laughs> his third wedding. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's everyone's favorite part of this complaint. It's so funny. <laughs> jewelry. Jewelry for both his second and third wives, including engagement rings and wedding bands for both wives. By the way, ben, wife... ben, ben Heck says that he told him his second wife was un uh, too unattractive, so that's why he had to dump her and bring that, his wife oh number three. God. And, and so, yeah, no, he and also he bought a condo in uh, in Kauai, Hawaii. So, like, oh, this guy was just in... in um, yeah, when asked by SEC counsel during investigative testimony about his use of the fund's asset to pay for these personal family expenses, Mueller asserted his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. So like, now obviously- and he's not the only douchebag Mueller named in this. Uh, right, his, right, I right, think his right. dad or yeah, his a few, daughter. A few different people got named. Yeah, this and is ultimately, And ultimately, all of the deep root entities, like ultimately in discovery, a whole lot more is going to end up coming out about deep root itself. Like yeah, we are wow. at the very beginning of this. But saga. these are just civil charges. Like this, right. none of this could land him in jail, but that, I guess the feds could come in and Not charge yet. him with something. Well, yeah, that's the thing, yeah, right? Like it, it opens the door for sure. Right. But you know, it, it ultimately either way, like there will be discovery that will unearth a lot more stuff. And, you know, we're, we're at the beginning of this story here now in terms of like what was actually happening behind the scenes. Um, and, 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 and this really like, yeah, there's I mean, never been like, anything like this in pinball. It's not just, it's not just Texas. It's Utah and Texas. Right. It's unholy alliance of yeah. Mormon and, and Christian. Right. And, and somehow created this whole thing. But there's the, also like, this is Gizmondo. This is the pinball version of the Gizmondo. Yeah. Which, like, in the video game world, there was this handheld device, the Gizmondo, and it turned out one of the guys was, like, involved in the Swedish mafia, which, who knew? 
and like he crashes a Ferrari, it shears it in half, and then he blames it on some drunk German named Dieter who doesn't exist because he was just <laughs> the one who crashed it, and then he moved over to the passenger seat. Like that's awesome. The, a, a device that completely spun out of control, but it's happening for pinball. Right. Yeah, it's the whole. This is thing gonna is get just... so weird. <laughs> yeah. And, and who knows, you know, maybe in a year, year and a half, Levy, we could have you back on again to sort of talk Absolutely. about, uh, you know, what ended up happening in this case, because it's just beginning. Yeah. And, and it is funny because you were because you were talking about how how dime a dozen this kind of thing is. And as we were starting to get into this scam and the the messages that he was making and saying, oh, yeah, this is going to be easy. It's like, oh, yeah. Er, yep. I've seen this. I've seen this so many times before, not just with Gizmondo. I mean, that has with, to be the name of the docuseries, right? Yeah. Pinball's easy. easy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's um, how we get our Netflix not, deal. Pinball's yeah. <laughs> not easy. It's just, you know, but the fun the thing is, like, about, again, the nuts and bolts of the scam is just the same thing we've seen a million yeah. fucking times before. It's just a fucking Ponzi scheme. Right. And it's pathetic and it's sad that pinball people got stuck into this again at this point, yeah. not knowing better. Right. And uh, it'll happen again. I mean, mm-hmm. there's already, there's a company called Haggis Pinball and I don't know anything about them. I'm not going to say they're criminals. I'm not going to say they're not. They put out about four pinball machines, like okay. literally four or five pinball. They're in Australia. They're, they've taken thousands and thousands of dollars on pre-order money on a Fathom remake. And people are happy to give the money and nobody's skeptical about it. Cause they're nice guys mm-hmm. and they seem to seem to have their heart in the right place. And it's just, it's happening again. And it's like, there's no fanfare about it, but people are happy to give them money. Right. And I'm sure the next people who show up the same, I just don't understand what's so odd about the concept to just make a fucking pinball machine and I'll buy it. Right. Like, why can't it just be like that? So it, that's how it is with Stern. That's how it right. is with uh, Jersey Jack. And some people, you know? some people will are just like, for whatever reason, constitutionally, they cannot and will not ever learn. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of like scrolling through Pinside right now, and I'm seeing this extraordinary post from a man in Halifax who says, and this, this post was made two hours ago. This is a brand <laughs> oh new post. <clears throat> J-pop could be managed in the future. You oh, would Jesus. have to set short-term goals and make sure he stays focused. Wait, is this this great witch guy? After, yeah. After all the... All right, he's, he's out of his fucking after mind. All, he's, he's, well, right. Okay. But, like, after all the failures he has had since the glory days, finishing with the closing of WMS, he, you would think that he will have to drastically change and take a lower job to move forward. He has some good ideas along some wacky and poor ones. That is why... He's continued dreaming the last 20 years. Like, I mean, it, yeah. it sounds like if you want to make a J-pop machine and actually ship it, you get an a set of ideas from him. You let him work on it for about a month and then you hand it over to somebody else, <laughs> which Brian, it kind of sounds like is what they were doing Brian, back in the day. Brian, you have a good heart, but the best... <laughs> Thing for any J-pop project is to not allow him right, not to have him. do it. Not have you him. Take it, yeah, you but take like, it back out yeah, behind the I'm barn I'm saying the it. most charitable thing that you can do with this person is uh, say, hey, we'll have you make a pinball machine and then and then tear it away from him. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that yes. someone can take the idea, they can have the brand name, and they can run with it, but then actually have a pinball machine at the end of the day. <laughs> but there has clearly, to be a way. Yeah. Now, like, don't don't let this great witch guy like sway you. That that is a outlier <laughs> outlier opinion at this point. I, of course. And uh, but, most but of the people who had their money stolen have just disappeared because they've been right. so, you know, they've been so invested in this, and yeah. it's gotten so contentious that you know they've really, you know, it's gotten to the like point of like fuck you, you don't know what you're talking right. about. 
I'm right. getting my game. Right. You know, shut the fuck up. And everyone's all, you're a fucking moron. You gave these right. guys money. And it's just, it's gotten pretty ugly. Right. So and, right. Uh, it, it seems like the story is over, but you never know. And, uh, and you never know, you know, the next scam could be right around the corner. And pinball people have been proven they cannot be trusted. As right. long as they're not happy with the games they're getting, which are fun, functional, reliable pinball machines that you can pay money for and receive a month later, as long as they're not happy with that, there's always going to be someone out there ready to steal their money. And Absolutely. I don't think we've seen the end of it. I, wa- I yeah. want to take a step back now because like, we have now heard the extraordinary true story of um, John Papaduke and uh, Robert Mueller and Deep Root Pinball. Yeah, you've heard the short version. You've heard the very short version. If you want to, if you want to read, if you want to hear the long version, there's a 500 page thread on pinside.com. And not just that, you also want to go to the Magic Girl thread. Right. And you're going to yeah. want to wade through the 10,000 posts in that one. Where I, but can, I also really like people. that somewhere along the way, Alice in Wonderland has completely disappeared. Like it's not even something <laughs> anyone's talking about at this point. <laughs> <laughs> true, oh, like everyone's like where's magic girl and alice is just in a hole it's what funny, I want- once every six thousand posts someone will mention that They're like of course hey what about me i have money in on alice <laughs> everyone's like shut the fuck up we're talking about big boy stuff um I, so take, taking sort of a step back then from that story specifically um i think it's interesting that you know, this is a story that ultimately just reinforced. It, it, it's very much in the same vein of American con man stories from mm-hmm. way back to, to now. Right. It's like the same promises. It's a different product. but Ultimately, it's promises that aren't delivered upon. But there are people who hope so desperately and they want so desperately yeah. for the thing to be real because they have skin in the game and they're unwilling to own up to the fact that it isn't real. And I thought, Levy, that your comparison earlier to, you know, Trumpism was really interesting. It was one of the things that I wanted to sort of close on in talking about here, because ultimately with, you know, diehard Trumpism, especially when we look at like, you know, QAnon and the really, really hardcore guys who are like, no, he's actually still president. Like, just you wait, you know, he's going to be back because he's, he's the guy. There's so much, um, there's a lot of parallels there. And I'm curious, like what you make of that way of thinking about things, why people think that way and why ultimately there's going to be another sucker who's going to fall for the same thing. Well, I've hammered the point uh, a few, a few times. I think it boils down to people are just not happy with reality and they want to believe the fantasy, which is right. You know, you can do, you can spool whatever you want up in your mind and and the fantasy is always going to be better than the real. But, you know, this pinball machine's okay. It's got flippers, it's got ramps, it's got the same shit every pinball machine I've played in the last 40 years. But uh, this guy, he's going to really push the envelope. He's going to give me the innovation I want. I don't know what I want, but I know I want something mm. better. And that's what I'm going to get. He's going to make pinball great again. That was actually fucking Jersey Jack's um, slogan when they started making pinball machines. We're going to make pinball. Well, they jumped on it in, the, in 2015 where he started putting out these hats. <laughs> to make pinball great again. Like he was one of the first guys to figure out how clever that was to put something besides America in and we're going to make pinball great again. And that's what that is. What it comes down to is that's what these people want. They think they like pinball and they don't, they want, they really need to be hmm. in a different hobby. They, they want, what do they like? They don't know, but they know that this fast talking douchebag who's rich is going to give it to them. And that's the source of every one of these fucking scams. Boom. Boom. They should try model trains 
I mean, like, like, actually, that it might be up their alley. Uh, you know, like, it's, it's like somebody who thinks they want to be into fishing, but what they really want is like to be into like cigarette boat racing. Yeah, it's like they. I think need they innovation in my fishing. Right, it's just the whole reason. I need the pin people, bar in the handle of my my fishing rod. People like pinball because it's the same thing it's always been. Yeah. You got flippers, and you got a ball, and you play it with your friends, and you're trying to get your score higher, and you shoot these things, and this happens, and and then the, you know, okay, there's some cool pinball machines with like gimmicks. The ball will disappear. Yeah. It's a magnet. But in the end of the day, it's just pinball. And every time one of these hyped up games gets revealed. And it turns out it's just a pinball machine. You can see half of the crowd, like you lose half the crowd. They're so disappointed. Mm, you mean sure. it's just a pinball machine? There's this fucking Godzilla game's about to come out. And if yeah. there's not an articulated, motorized, <laughs> seven inches tall Godzilla stomping across the play field and blowing fire at you, there's going to be a, a, hundreds of people who are disappointed with it. And they're right. all going to blame Gary because he hates you and he's cheap and he just wants your money. And all he's going to do is deliver you this Godzilla pinball machine when you pay for it. And it's not going to have an actual fire breathing Godzilla. And they're going to, in their mind, if some rich, smooth talker comes along and tells them they're going to give them that fire breathing Godzilla, they're going to send him money. And I just wish it would stop. And it doesn't yeah. seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. So, well, you know, I'm a little depressed. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's not uh, just the fact that I've been drinking all night. <laughs> well until that happens until people stop searching for the uh you know uh fully automated fully articulating fire breathing godzilla uh we're gonna stay here stuck in the worst of all possible worlds and uh to close i'm the worst of all possible joshes i'm the worst of all possible brian's and uh, I'm, the, I'm the worst of all possible levies. Don't get me wrong. Pinball is super fun. If you want to play pinball, go out yep. and play pinball. This yeah. isn't about you. Like, go play pinball and have fun. That's, what, it, that's yeah. what it's there for. And people seem to have forgotten that over the last 15 years, lusting yeah. after these imaginal, imaginary pinball machines that are never yeah. going to exist. Just go out and have fun. If you want to buy a game, there's three or four companies now that will actually give yeah. you one. That's who you should send your money to. Play pinball. Have fun. That's what it's all about. Oh yeah. Is there I, uh, anything that you wanted to? Is that an upbeat enough way to that's, end this? Yeah, that's great. I think so. Is I, there anything that you wanted to plug before uh, before we bounce? Or me? Uh, yeah. if you want to, you know, buy a pinball machine that's been gone through, it's fun. It exists. You can go to www.crazylevypinball.com and maybe I'll sell you one. Uh, All right. Maybe not. You know, I, you have to you have to pass a rigorous uh, application process <laughs> to prove that you are worthy of one of my used pinball machines. Yeah, it's like adopting I, a dog. I uh, <laughs> I. I have never been good at pinball. I, I have fun whenever I, I play pinball, but I've never like built up the skill or been that much of an enthusiast of it. I think there's really only one um, innovation that a pinball machine needs, and I've never seen it. Hmm. Uh, a pinball machine that sucks you off. <laughs> You're not the first person to decide that that's what they want. Every time somebody tries to sell a pinball machine for like $15,000, that's generally one of the comments. Yeah, will it suck me off? <laughs> no, it will not suck you off. Pinball All you need suck. is, uh, how much does a flashlight go for? Those are kind of expensive, right? Like 60 uh, that, bucks or something. That's usually my response. That, <laughs> a little bit of duct tape, and, the, and there you go. Pinball machine that sucks you off. Pinball machine that sucks you off. Have a good one, everybody. See you. Good night. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. A pinball machine that sucks you off. Sounds crazy, no? 
But here in our little village of Anatevka, every one of us is a, a pinball machine that sucks. I'm sorry. Okay. This emergency podcast has been brought to you by our wonderful patrons at Patreon. That includes Aeneas Hemphill, Ben Ferber, Benjamin R. Alford, Bill, Davis Vandesteeg, Dominic Russo, Nate Netsley, Nell Jordan, Octavia Immersive, Trevor Strunk, with a special thank you to Ashley Stoneman, Nikola Donov, Sam Borman, and Timmy Sexton. All right, till next time, stay safe. <laughs>